0: Hello, and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank.
1: And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU. We talk crimes. We have celeb guests
0: and we chit-chat up top. Catch up. What's up, bitch? What is up, bitch? Um, not much. You're in Montreal. I'm meeting you there soon. I'm Can't excited. Wait. Pack a suit. Pack a suit. Oh,
1: there God. I was
0: going to ask you. Okay, there's a pool. Okay, I'm going to pack a suit. It's an
1: indoor-outdoor pool, but might as well, you know, just in
0: case. I've already yeah. been to the pool once. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to pack a suit. Um, we we'll But it I... is
1: weird. Like, when I was young here, it was like, party, party, party. And now I have, like, I'm, like, booked up. Like, I have a schedule. <laughs> I'm, like, being shuffled around. I have things to do. I'm on so many shows, and I'm just, like, it's cool to see growth in different things and be trusted, but it is, like... I'm used to just getting fucked up yeah. all the time. <laughs> now I have to like, you know, be somewhere at 1.30. It's
0: kind of silly. Yeah. I'm like an You're elderly person. You're like working person. out of your office at a Montreal hotel.
1: Yeah, and I'm acting. I am embarrassing myself to the new faces. I'm definitely like, oh, and you should go here. And these elevators are easier. Like I'm being embarrassing.
0: <laughs> um, uh, I'm excited. No, one of the kids in Rosie's class, her mom is like, From Toronto and is like, Montreal my favorite city. She was like, I'll give you a list. And I was like, I'm there for like not even 48 hours. Like, I don't know if I need a list. I didn't know you were that quick. Oh, yeah, baby. I'm like, I get there tomorrow. I get there Thursday afternoon and I leave Saturday afternoon.
1: I did not know that. Yeah. I can't believe it. I thought we would have a Saturday night. I know, unfortunately. It'll just be a Friday night. It'll just
0: be a Friday night. We'll see Trixie Mattel. Yes. Yeah, no no, I've just been texting with her about her her show and I'm excited that we're going to go. Um yeah, proximity to
1: Trixie Mattel um will bring this festival to an 11. <laughs> like <laughs> any sort of contact with Trixie. Yesterday I fell asleep to a montage of best of pit stop Trixie hosting and it wow. was uh, it was like an hour 10 compilation. <laughs>
0: I got to watch that. That sounds like something I'd be... That sounds like a segue to get me into Pit Stop. Um, yeah.
1: Fun fun, drag queens, fun everything. Wait, did you
0: hear The Goss about Drag Race? No, what's The Goss? So The Goss is apparently on this new season of All Stars, All Winners, um, they're not showing any negative critiques, but apparently the judges did give them negative critiques. This show just decided to cut them out. And I guess on like the third episode, Michelle said something negative to Raja. And Raja goes, who are you to judge me? Your only qualification for being up there is you're the host's best friend. Damn. And I'm kind of like, I'm of two minds raja's a queen she can say whatever the fuck she wants i i completely support raja on the other hand that is like an argument from like season three four five like at this point michelle visage is a drag expert like she also comes from the ballroom scene like i do think she knows how to judge drag but i don't think she should come for raja who's been doing it like forever well how
1: did michelle even respond to that and is this inside scoop? Where is the scoop? Can this I read? This has been
0: written on blogs. So I don't really okay. feel like I'm I'm spoiling anything. Like somebody sent me the link to it yesterday. It was like on out.com or something. Okay, I have to Trinity, find it. Trinity spilled it. Trinity spilled the goss in an interview or like a podcast or some kind of live appearance. Well, yeah,
1: because the pit stop like um someone's one piece was saggy and they did not talk about it (laughs) and that's when I realized like okay so we're getting no negative so there were they just cut it
0: all out I think they decided that like the vibe was you know positive 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 but also wildly all stars untucked is unavailable right now you cannot find it anywhere
1: Oh, when you well, go to I Paramount, bought it on Amazon, and I am watching. I'm watching it on my Amazon.
0: When you go to Paramount, okay, but streaming it, if you go to Paramount or Amazon, Paramount, like any of that, it's only seasons two, three, and four of Untucked. If I know, you purchased but it,
1: I'm watching it. Do you think I bought? I probably bought it then. Yeah, I'm watching the Untucked this season.
0: No, no, but so is my friend, and she's like, it's not there anymore. Damn. I was seeing it on Paramount Plus, the app that I have, and it's not there anymore. I don't know what's going on. Whoa, because I watched the Hannah
1: one. I mean, I you could be positive and also say you're, it, the outfit's saggy. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they cut it's it It's all out. about the details. I'm team Raja on this. It is like, I'm glad she put Michelle in her place. Yeah. I also get annoyed like on um on YouTube after any video like pit stop or anything from Wow, it's Michelle Visage going, "Hey, do you want to watch any gay shit? Go on here." And it's like, "You're not gay. Like I don't <laughs> understand why you're saying this."
0: It's weird. She says gay shit. Yeah, if you want more gay shit, click here. I mean, it is kind of weird because it's like RuPaul doesn't really give you carte blanche to like say whatever you want. What do you mean? Proximity to RuPaul doesn't mean you're a gay man. Like, just because,
1: you know, like, no, I think sometimes she does annoy me. And when, and I like that Raja was like, Are you kidding me? I'm better than everybody. (laughs) The only thing that Raja fucked up this season was her John Waters mustache, her like the, the Olivia Newton John mustache. I mean, this is getting way too inside, but other than that, Raja has slayed the competition.
0: Yeah, I think Raj has been amazing. And I love her in testimonials. She's great.
1: And I um, think she could take real notes. I bet Michelle was being a bitch.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: But I don't know. I mean, I have inside scoop coming, so hopefully we'll learn even yeah, more. Yeah, and I
0: can tell you something off mic that Michelle did my season. I don't want to say it on here because I don't even know what I'm allowed oh, no, to talk Oh, no, I remember this. That. That
1: you've told me. The uh, okay. Um. Oh, I know, bitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Annalise uh, knows, too. We all know. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Um. Oh, so I went to go see the Dixie Chicks and I'm sorry. I went to go see the Chicks, formerly oh, known as the God. Dixie yes. Chicks, Amazing. in concert this week. It was awesome. It was so good. They sound so fucking awesome. And I just like love them. But like, I don't know. I just, this is just like my only gripe with the concert and with other concerts I've been going to. I want musicians to speak out about social issues. I want them to like say things, but... Every concert I go to, there's just an artistic montage using all the names of dead pe- black people, using all the names of dead kids that have been shot in school shootings. And the artists don't actually say anything. They just show this weird MTV music style thing. There's never a website. There's never like a go here and donate. There's never like a call to action. It's just like, hey, what's up? We're on your side. And it just feels like sort of an empty gesture. And for of all people, I was like, the chicks, like... I want to hear Natalie Maine say something about this. Like, she fucking speaks up for herself. Like, why is she not just saying, like, hey, the gun problem in this country is psychotic. Like, go here to donate. Go here yeah, to, like, sign a petition. on the
1: screen, they could do one of those little codes and people could take photos Anything. and donate immediately.
0: Anything. And it's like, this is your platform and you're doing these, like, you know, Baz Lerman style music video montages like that are designed to make people cry and make people be like, oh my God, what are we going, like what's going on in this country? But let's be honest, you're at the Greek in Los Angeles. You've got most of these people on your side already. Let's do a call to action. Let's get something like, you know what I mean? Let's do something people can like concretely do, or let's hear directly from the artist. That was my only thing. I was wondering if you had any thoughts, because I know we've both been to a lot of concerts lately. I will say Backstreet Boys did not touch on anything political. But like when I went to Pink, she did something like that, but it was just a video. It wasn't like she said anything. And it was like, there was no call to action. And I just feel like it's kind of, it's like a, I don't know. I don't know if it's like lip service, but it just feels like they could just be doing a little bit more.
1: I actually want musicians to talk the least amount as possible. They humiliate (laughs) themselves constantly. Anytime they talk in between songs, it's like excruciating cringe. I am uncomfortable. Stop talking, start singing. Yes,
0: yes. Okay, that part, yes. But in terms of like, if you're going to bring up social issues, don't you think they should just like say their opinion instead of having this like generic music video that goes on and like using the names and like kind of exploiting the names of all these victims and, and and then not saying go to uh, every town. go to uh, abortionfunds.org. Like, you're you're, you're talking about all these issues, but you're not giving anyone anything concrete to do. I don't know. It was just kind of annoying me. But besides that, 10 out of 10, amazing concert, the chicks rule, and it was great.
1: Yeah, I saw the chicks years ago, but was too drunk and don't remember anything (laughs) except for crying, so...
0: And I'll always have my merch, but that's yeah. <laughs> that's no, it. they had, they played like a nice mix of like old stuff. And I know I really love them because when they play new stuff, I haven't heard. I still like listening to it. And sometimes when I go to bands, I'm like, eh, this is from the new album or whatever. But like, I really loved everything they did and... Uh, they did like a moment where they could play one of six songs and they had one of their little daughters come out and roll a big dice and like played the song that it was and it was cute.
1: Well, so Casey Musgraves did that but then she what someone picked, she went I don't want to do that and then sang something else anyways. So I don't know if that's part of the game or not,
0: but she was like, fuck that. I'm singing Dolly and did not listen to the person. Everybody seemed to want this one song and then they picked this other song, which is still a good one, but she goes, I don't know, this one, Marty said this one's going to be a barn burner and then it kind of was fine. And so later she did an extra song because she goes, I feel bad about the barn burner. (laughs) Like, So it was funny.
1: And can you see if they like each other still or not?
0: It seems like they do. Yeah. But you know what's crazy is that the, the other women are not mic'd, I don't think. They don't talk. So Natalie's the only one that talks. Like, she's the full star of the show. Like, Marty and Emily do not talk, really. Like, a little bit. We sang happy birthday to one of their daughters, and she took a video of it. Like, but they don't really talk. I thought there'd be a little bit more banter between them. So you can't really tell. But that's what I said. I leaned over to my friend and go, you think they still like each other? Like, well I was the wondering.
1: documentary and like them making the album with Rick Rubin and stuff, it felt like they really love each other and have a connection. Um, but then I've heard from other friends, like their opinion is of course the sisters are fucking pissed at Natalie. But they are still rich and successful. So it is tough. But like, yeah. I, you know, I, I do know some people
0: believe that the sisters are still fucking pissed at Natalie. Interesting. Interesting. I was wondering the exact same thing as I was sitting there. I was like, do you think they were like, shut your mouth? Like, because I haven't seen the doc or any of that stuff. But
1: um, wait, you said you had something else to tell me.
0: Oh, so, okay. So I, I thought that you would think this was interesting because I was listening to this podcast. I like Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast. I like it. Um, and he was doing an inter- He was doing an episode about Will and Grace, one of my favorite shows of all time, and kind of about how Will and Grace had to, you know, bust through all of this sort of like y- bullshit to even get on the air. And it was kind of like a miracle that it even got on the air. And then, of course, a lot of people didn't think it was like it was depicting gay people in a true way, but it was like, this is kind of the only way we can do it on national television. We gotta do baby steps. I know. Steps. It's
1: very it easy was interesting shit on Will and Grace now using the standards of what we like expect from yes. television. But I think it's like a dumb take. I'm sorry. Like to not understand what that show did, like even if you feel yes. like it's cheesy or fucked up or digs into stereotypes now, like you said, the fact that it got made
0: was, I bet they jumped through a lot of fucking hoops. A lot of fucking hoops. And prior to that, there had never been a show centered on a gay man. Like never. Like, yeah. so it was just like, you know, whatever. So as I'm listening to it, they're talking to Max Muchnik and David Cohan, who are the ones who inv- who created it. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is giving their backstory and he's talking about how David Cohen's father was, I'm sorry, his name is escaping me, but he was this famous uh, late night television writer, Merv Griffin show. He has a weird name. I think it's like Buzz or something. Oh yeah. It might be Buzz. Yeah. Something silly. And he, so he's this like, he has upwards of 20, over 20 Emmys. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay. So he comes from a like Hollywood family. And I think so does Max Muchnick. Well, okay, like, you know, and then they go, and his sister also creates television, Genji Kohan. And I was like, no way. Like, I had no idea that Genji Kohan was the sister of the creator of Will and Grace and was from like Hollywood royalty, like, grew up in the business. And it was just interesting to me because I really always thought that Genji Kohan, like, and by the way, in case you're like, who the fuck is she talking about? Creator of Weeds, creator of Orange is the New Black, creator of all this like cool, I think, female-centric, groundbreaking television. She's very talented. She's very smart. But I just couldn't believe that this is a person I thought just came out of nowhere. And it just made me realize that, like, everything is fucking nepotism. Like, everyone is related to someone. Well, because they hide it. Yeah. Like, that is what
1: is the most annoying. Just be real about it. Like, (laughs) I don't like the... And what is she supposed to do? She gets a job and she goes, by the way, it's nepotism. No, I don't... (laughs) I don't know. And they are great shows. She's very good at what she does. We also... We've probably talked about this, but no one ever gets mad about nepotism. Like, if you go into a family business and any other business. Like, if your dad's a plumber and then you become a plumber and take care of the business, no one's like, ugh, look at that nepotism. (laughs) You know, so you're supposed to go into the family business. So I understand if you grow up in Hollywood, you're going to want to do Hollywood jobs. But I just, it bought, be yeah, they're so secretive about it. They're so secretive. They're so scared people are going to think they don't deserve it. And that attitude makes us feel you don't deserve it.
0: Yeah. It's just like... Uh, there's all these people that I like, I've just been finding that out. I can't even think of like a good example right now where I'm just like- I don't have any nepotism. I'm a true immigrant.
1: Like, I don't know, but I'll always be like, like, well, my parents paid for college. (sighs) And that's huge. I didn't have any debt. Or like my parents uh, helped me get the first apartment in New York. They put down my broker fee or whatever. Like there are things that help you that right. I don't understand why you can't just be like, well, I didn't have to pay $500 in student loan debt every month. And that gave me freedom to run around New York. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes, Just, I can be grateful for these little, little things. I'm not saying I'm a hero. I just don't understand why rich people can't be like, well, I didn't have to pay rent.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of lived... started on, I started on second. You know, like I started on second base. Like It I wasn't... doesn't make your yeah. product
1: worse. Like I just, yeah. I don't get it. If you're a rich nepotism kid, write us in, let us know. <laughs> 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 that's why Kate Hudson it's like yes my mom is Goldie Hawn I'm hot now I'm gonna be an almost famous get the fuck right. away from me that <laughs> I like that
0: tell you us. can embrace that yeah
1: Lily Collins being like I just auditioned and I got the show no you're Phil yeah. Collins daughter you're not a good actress get the fuck out of this business <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's on period um uh, Okay, let's start the episode. We have an awesome fucking episode today, and um, an amazing guest. You guys are in for a real treat. Okay, so we're doing Savior,
1: that's season eleven, episode fourteen, and uh, you know this is the Misha Barton episode, and I have to be honest, her acting ruins everything. She is a terrible actress. <laughs> <laughs> She does have a couple teary moments, but she's not a gifted actress. She did not go to Juilliard, and that is for sure. And I'm sure you can guess she's not our guest. I'm like (laughs) truly dragging her. Um, so it starts out, a scantily clad woman in a red cropped bomber jacket is walking. There's cleavage, and a man is rapping as she walks, and she kind of giggles to herself. But she doesn't like in his lyrics. He, you know, calls her a bitch, and she says, "I'm not your bitch." He grabs her and turns her around and says, "It's dangerous out here," and she looks startled. But he's like, "I'll protect you," and he's a pimp, and he wants uh, her as a client. And she, or not a client, I don't know, an employee. <laughs> she responds. Um, she has a man and she's all right. And she walks off, and it's revealed she's wearing a really shiny, cute, like purple mini skirt. And she heads to a car and starts chatting with a man who has a hard dick and ready to play. <laughs> and she's into it. And um, he motions her into the car, and it's really creepy. We can't see his face. He's not talking. We're scared. She enters the car. And then I also noticed she had like gold heart hoops, earrings. Mm. And I did love that and then it cuts straight to her dead body. Um, And she has bloody cuts and bruises. Benson's crouched over the body and says a homeless man tripped on her. (laughs) That's like such a wild detail. Stabler walks in and his badge is on his chain, and I love when their badges are like necklaces. (laughs) Um, And there's an imprint of a gun barrel on her head. And, you know, rape, strangulation. Her name on the ID is Abby Mannion, 22, and she lives in Soho. Um, so if she lives there, what's she doing, quote unquote, hooking in a scuzzy place like this? Stabler Ponders. Um, and a lot of other things don't add up. She has a perfect, like, French manicure. She has amazing teeth. Something's off. They only trust you if you're a hooker if you have terrible teeth. <laughs> um, and, uh-oh, there's a homemade prayer card, and it's just like the one they found on a victim last week. And it's for, uh, it says Archangel Zad- Zadikil.
0: Who's the yeah, Zadikil? Zadikil or something. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever.
1: Um, and it says, Forgive them for their sins. You are thine angel of mercy. Uh, okay. And then they zoom onto the dead body one more time before the credits. So we're back from the credits and we're at the 16th Precinct. Stabler and Cragen are doing a walk and talk to the TV screen blackboard thing. And uh, two sex workers have been murdered in the last two weeks with the same MO and signature and everything. Maggie Ortiz and Abby Mannion. CSU um, says that the card is the same printer and paper stock, but it's really hard to trace like where paper comes from. So they're not able to do that. And then they're like, anything else in common with these girls, only that they were murdered on the same stroll. Benson comes running in to reveal that Melinda found fluids in Abby. Hell yes. We got some evidence and we hope it's in the system. Stabler calls him a freak. Kragen calls him a religious freak.
0: <laughs> We're all on the same page. Yeah, I like the word freak. Yeah.
1: So we get another quote from this archangel, bring to mankind from God the gift of compassion. And Stabler, of course, Bible trivia king, he fills in that this um, archangel is the angel that stopped Abraham from killing his son Isaac. Do you know about this? You know about, this is early in the, the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. I, I think he... Abraham's uh, suffering from schizophrenia. Yeah. And he- um... A burning bush tells him <laughs> to, uh Yeah. <laughs> Was it to kill his baby or is this where circumcision came from? Is this like chop off your baby t- dick tip or was this kill oh, your I, baby? I
0: do not know, but I just, rem- I do remember the baby killing. Yeah. Um. Didn't God kill one of his own sons too? Jesus. Well.
1: <laughs> the main one.
0: <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I was thinking of something different. I was thinking of something different. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess there's a new theory that it wasn't really Jesus and like someone switched spots with Jesus or something. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who was telling me. This might have been at a bar. I don't know. Uh somebody, been, <laughs> somebody switched spots with Jesus. <laughs> I've been trying to get out there, guys. I've been leaving the house. I've been making plans. I've, <laughs> I've been, been hearing, hearing gossip. conspiracy theories. <laughs> I've been going to the dive bars. I've been (laughs) saying hello to strangers. I love it. I've been getting sunburnt at the beach. Um, Cragen's like, how is murdering sex workers showing mercy? And Benson says, maybe since they're sinners, he's saving them. So they're trying to understand this madman. And Stabler's still on the wavelength of like, she's not a hooker. Who is she? Who is she? We got to find out. Um, I feel like this changes nothing, whether she's a sex worker or not. But Stabler is very committed to finding this out. Um, They're at her apartment on Crosby Street, and they're talking to a landlord, and he um, looked familiar. And he is—he's been in four other episodes, all as different people. So we stand. <laughs> um, he says, "There's a mix-up. I already called the sheriff, so we don't need you." And they're like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm evicting that little bitch," and he thinks that's why they're there. And they're like, "No, she was murdered last night." And he does actually look really sad, and is like, "Damn, I as if, if
0: the police would help you show would show up to help you with an eviction? Come on, man.
1: I don't know how evictions work." I don't think the cops help you. No, I think that's their favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> don't you remember when they were evicting a bunch of people der- yeah. in LA? They yeah. like loved it.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they you're don't, right.
1: they, want, they cannot wait to kick the shit up people yeah. out of their house and then steal Pull stuff. Pull you out.
0: Yeah, you're right. I stand corrected. I sit corrected at my microphone.
1: So Benson asks the landlord, like who else didn't like her? And the all knowing landlord says, Oh my God, so many people. She is a scammer. Maybe she played the wrong guy on the internet. Um, she sells knockoffs and fake shit. And then Benson, our you know, classy classy shopper, she starts <laughs> gripping
0: it, smelling it. She
1: goes, even stitching.
0: These are these are knockoffs. These are like two thousand dollars each. I love that that's one of Benson's side superpowers is that she like knows what's expensive shit and brands. Yes. Like <laughs> (laughs) Just a side thing. She always knows.
1: I mean, I'm sure what she's. What do you think she's making? A hundred grand a year, or no, or less? I think so. She's
0: a single woman. Yeah, she's gonna buy some nice stuff.
1: She's going to have a pension, a nice retirement. She doesn't take time off. She's not traveling. She's working overtime.
0: I've just never seen her with like a... Well, they probably can't do it on the show. They're not having her like have brand name labels. But yeah, she seems no. like she shops at Banana Republic.
1: No, but uh, <laughs> Neil Bear gave us the brand of that dress. Oh, yeah. Shore, but I, think I forgot. It
0: was like a Hugo Boss dress or something, oh. she said. He said, but he told us it was expensive.
1: God, I can't wait to talk to Mariska. I can't though. I can. I have a fantasy of how I want it to go, and we're not there yet. <laughs> it needs to be at her house,
0: okay? <laughs> On Long Island in the
1: Hamptons. Yeah. Um. So, um. The landlord is even more mad now. He goes, you know what? She had all that expensive stuff and still didn't pay her rent. She was a fucking bitch, and it's like she's dead. <laughs> Sir, she's dead. please. Leave her alone. Sir, please. Stabler asks, where did she get these deals? And he says her roommate, Lynn Drexel. And they find her and she's working at a counter at a store and they drop um, like the box of goods on her desk and they're like, what's up with these? And she's like, yeah, I mean, they sell them here and they grill her and they talk about Abby and you can see she feels relieved, like, oh, maybe it's off me and it's her fault. Um, And they say, we would love to talk to her, but someone killed her last night. And her vibe immediately shifts. She's upset, like, oh my God. And she is a good actress. I looked her up. Her name is Brita Wolf. I know her from Unreal.
0: Yes. Yes. She was like the Christian girl. Yeah, the Christian who's a lesbian who ends up being a lesbian.
1: Yes. And I watched a movie on a plane recently called Mass, and she's in it. Oh, okay. Do you ever see that on the Delta options? No. It's like two sets of parents meet at a church and you don't know what's happening. But basically, one of them is a school shooter and the other one's kid got killed in the school shooting. Oh, wow. And so there's like a conflict resolution lady that comes and then this Brita Wool plays like the church helper and they sit in a room and just uh, try to heal. Wow. Fuck. Martha Plimpton's in it, the one who lost her pinky on an early episode yes. of SVO. So star-studded. And, um... Is it Anne O'Dowd? I think she might be She didn't
0: lose her pinky. She was carrying around her dead sister's pinky, but yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny Halloween costume, being a little pinky in a Ziploc bag.
0: (laughs) And having to explain that to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should do an... Maybe we should... We'll do an SVU costume idea.
1: We might be in New York, I hope. Okay.
0: All right. We're back. We're back.
1: We're back. So, um... What did I... Oh, I wrote... I think she'll blow up. I'm like, who's blowing up? (laughs) Uh, I think she's going to have a long, great career is what I'm saying. She starts giving them info but feeling stressed and Stabler leans leans in and is like, why are you sweating? She's like, wouldn't you be sweating if you just found out your best friend died? He goes, no, I'd be crying, not sweating. (laughs) Um, Then he notices her ID on the desk and there's Coke on
0: it. And so she's like, all right, I love cocaine. Does (laughs) Stabler like taste it? He like licks her ID or something and he's like, Coke. I just
1: hate cocaine so much and I wish I loved
0: it. I know. It doesn't do it. We've talked about this. It doesn't do anything for me.
1: I just, no, I just get a drip and I'm upset. And it's like, I just was hanging out with someone that's like, oh, I'm my best self at Coke. Well, she's sober now, but she was like, (laughs) she was like a bump in the morning and I was the best. Wow, interesting, yeah um so whatever, she loves cocaine, so she starts talking because duh um so they walk outside to chat. she goes when the market was good, you know they were partying every day when the market went down, the Coke habit kept getting bigger so Abby had an idea to take a couple bags here and there and sell them online and then um they were then they started selling themselves and their bodies and sex for Coke. And she says, Well, once we found out the governor was spending thousands paying for sex, she was like, I can do that. And her friend said,
0: Peace out. Uh, bye. So basically, like, she, the one that said, I can sell my body and breed a wool was like, No, not me. No, yes. Fix. Okay, exactly. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, and then she says, uh, <laughs> she's like, I'm not an addict <laughs> and, t- and stabler. This is quick. He goes, you just love the smell of cocaine. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's an old saying, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't like coke. I just like the smell of it or something like that. I don't know, but I loved it.
1: <laughs> that was like a fun little dirty dad joke. Um, Benson gets a phone call and it's Melinda and they got to hit off the DNA. Do you know a Michael Gallagher? And she says, yes, maybe she was seeing a guy named Mike who liked it when she licked his gun. So bam, SWAT team's knocking down the door. There's two kids just playing on a Puzzle and they start screaming for their mom. <laughs> and then there's a woman. At first, I couldn't tell if it was like a wife or a mother of the house or higher. Ed- like, I didn't understand, but it is um, the wife of who they're looking for and the mother of those children. But she gave me nanny vibes, didn't she?
0: I thought it was a, a nanny because she's yeah. wearing like an apron. Like yeah. I thought she was a nanny. Yeah. Um, but she also does like
1: an amazing like acting moment where it's like funny when they ask her where he is and she just like points. points. Like I love yeah. the point. I think she nailed the point. And um, they run to get him and he's playing golf games with a big screen in his little uh, playroom, she says. Um, And he's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And he puts his arms up. Stabler brings him into the interrogation room and says, "You love young hookers, don't you?" So he's on the record because at 22 he diddled. He, they use the word "diddled." I no. don't use that word. I don't use it. But he, on his record, he was 22 and he diddled a 14 year old. <laughs> like, who came up with that word? I feel like pedophiles came up with the word yeah. "diddle." It's gross. He said she like that's what like, that's what we should bleep is that word? Yeah, it's like that <laughs> should be bleeped. He said that she looked older and he prayed for forgiveness, classic. Um, And he's like, but I was just a kid. And it's like, you were 22. I just, I fucking hate everybody then they show the photos of the women and he says he doesn't know them and it's impossible his sperm is inside them and it's like dna does not lie when will people learn cops do lie so i guess it's smart for him not to admit it yeah stabler starts playing games with him and pushing him and he's like deny 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 and he asks where's your gun and he says i don't have a gun and then it cuts to the woman (laughs) of the house and she goes he got a gun three weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but he would not commit murder, she says, um, and that he found God and turned his life around. When she met him, he was wild, but she brought him to her church, and um, you know he channeled all that energy into building a business. And Benson's like, "Yeah, but temptation is like pretty strong, and it came up." And so she's like, convincing this woman to speak, and then secretly presses a button under the desk to record her talking. Yeah, but that's never happened before. Don't they just record all? Yeah, on- I thought they just recorded all of it. So I don't she's know. secretly taping this woman Watergate style. <laughs> and she starts to confess that he wants to do things in the bedroom that she does not want to do. And he gave her clothes and said that, like, he wanted her to be a little whore. And, she, you know, and then she goes, He gave me underpants with a hole in them. And without missing a beat, Benson goes, Crotchless panties. <laughs> yeah, we've heard. <laughs> like okay Benson and she yells well that's disgusting and Benson's like don't kink shame <laughs> and she um, and then she calls him disgusting like I'm the mother of ch- children and he wanted me to do nasty dirty things with my tongue and I totally thought it was like rim jaw but it's just a BJ like I just
0: <laughs> well I'm as she confused. says later the mouth is not a receptacle for the seed <laughs> yeah we, we know she's anti-choice <laughs> yeah <laughs> So they
1: then they play this recording to the husband and she's anti-blow job. She wants the seed right in her puss. And so <laughs> he says, so my wife's a prude. It's not a crime to want a little variety in my sex life. And Stabler's like, DNA doesn't lie. That's the gospel truth. And he knows he's gone. And finally he gets up and walks to the window to start spilling the beans. And he tried to be a good man. Oh my God, I just saw a meme today and it was like a, a man with all these beans on the floor and it said, don't trust him. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, but you loved it. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, I mean, we have not even met Misha Barton. I what know. What the fuck is I going know. on? Oh <laughs> It's coming, it's coming. He uh, tried to be a good man and husband, but he has needs. So he went online and that's where he met Abby and he loved it. There was no limit, threesomes, toys. And they're like, yeah, and she wanted to get murdered in an alley. And he's like, he's like, I dropped her off there alive. And they're like, really? She has to be dropped off at a random alley. And he's like, yes, that's our thing. And then they're like, and you push, you know, your gun into her head and it left a Bruce. And he's like, she was into it. Leave us alone. And he keeps saying that it was part of their game and that enrages Stabler and he's dragging the man through the squad room while handcuffed to go look at the board with all the gruesome pics. And it's like, you did this. And he looks worried and says, no, you gotta believe me. And he says he just wanted to have some fun, and he starts fully crying. And then Cragen interrupts him and goes, another prayer card has just been dropped 20 minutes ago, but this victim is not dead. Done, done. <laughs> the man is crying so hard now. And now we cut to a scene. I like, I mean, I think men should cry, but then I am laughing at this man. Yeah, so he's I don't standing
0: know. next to a board of like violent crime scene photos, just like, <laughs> like sobbing into his hands.
1: We cut to the scene of the new crime. A uniformed cop is like filling Mariska in. Um, I haven't commented on her hair yet. It is glorious. It's perfect. I think it's one of my favorites. Chic long bob with a swoop bang.
0: Yes, this is one episode after PC, I think. So it's the PC era of do I give off a gay vibe? Yeah.
1: Um, So the cop says, we're checking her out, and it cuts to Misha Barton in a leopard print fake fur coat. I have one of those. And a red bold lip going on. And um, she goes, I was just snapping. Like, I'm good. And Benson's like, yeah, he choked you out. And the other cop shows Benson a prayer card that was found in her purse. You hear a voiceover loud over everything yelling, don't tell them nothing, sunshine. And she's like, can I go now? And Benson will obviously not let her go. And she wants to know what happened. She says nothing. She's like, what is that your pimp, and it pans to a man dressed like a pimp, so it is a pimp. <laughs> he could also be a preacher or Cedric the Entertainer. <laughs> she now reveals she is sucking on a red blow pop and has glitter nail polish, so they're really, like, showing you she's young. Uh, Benson calls her Sunshine too, so that's her name, Sunshine, not just like, uh, oh... You know what I yeah. mean? Benson is pleading with her. Someone tried to kill you. Help us find this person. And she's angsty and does not want to. And she's like, a dude picked me up. And when I woke up, there were cops everywhere. And the pimp starts screaming while being held back by cops. Like, cops don't give a damn about you, sunshine. So shut your mouth. So Benson turns around sexy as hell. And is like, you need to shut your mouth before I put my fist through it. And the pimp is turned on. And he's like, wow, I like that. And he calls her a feisty bitch. And then Misha Barton runs off and gets in a black town car and vroom, vroom. And then Benson says, like, damn, nearly killed and back on the streets in minutes. We're now back at the precinct and Stabler and Benson ask um, Ice how many sex workers are named Sunshine. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess the NYPD has an exact number and Finn says there's 14 sunshines in the sex workers union like what are we talking about here <laughs> um, so they pin her ASAP it's Gladys Dalton and she's got a record going way back her first arrest was age 10
0: why are we arresting 10 year olds I know and it's like a cute little young picture of actual Misha Barton at 10 Like well, they, yeah. you're
1: arresting a 10 year old I know what the fuck yeah so it was for theft, age 14 and 17 for prostitution. And she was taken at six from her mother and was in foster care for the rest of her youth. The address she gave on her last arrest was her aunt, um, Shauna Grant, and in Murray Hill. And they're like poor, but Murray Hill's expensive. So, so expensive. I don't get it, yeah. but whatever. Maybe it's like artist housing and they got a lead. Um, they go to give her a visit. She's like, what'd she do this time? And is convinced they're there to arrest her. And they're like, no, we just want to talk to her and help her. And she goes, ah, whatever. She's down the hall. Um, and Misha Barton, of course, does not want to talk. And Benson's like, I just want to make sure you're okay. And she again says she's fine. And she shares a room with her two nieces. And Benson's like, shouldn't your pimp be taking better care of you? And it cuts to her aunt putting away dishes while having like, um, what are those called? Arm holding crutches, support sticks. What are they called? Yeah, she has a crutch. Yeah, but the crutches are under the armpits. What are the ones that grasp on Oh, a cane. Her? No, it grasps onto your arms. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I think they're called braces. I, I don't know. Yeah, but the leg brace. Yeah, so yeah. if you know what they're called, I'm calling them holding, arm-holding crutches support sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're talking about here. It's like the guy from something about Mary who's like faking being... Uh, and... The, and um. Shallow, how? Listen, these arm <laughs> sticks are making their way through cinema and television, and we don't know what they're called—forearm crutches. Casey, thank you Four so much. Forearm crutches. Forearm crutches. Oh, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm shocked that no one knew, though.
0: Neither of us. Uh, no, 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 I no one. Not. I was like a bra- a a cane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like we were playing
1: Scattergories or something. (laughs) You were like, I got it. Okay, so now that we know what those sticks are called, and I will continue to call them sticks. um, So Stabler, you know, she says pimp. Oh, no, 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 no. She works at a nightclub. So the aunt is either like purposely lying or is like delusional thinking that Gladys works at a nightclub. And Stabler is blowing her cover. So we don't know what's happening. But the aunt's not a good person. And the aunt's like, listen, she had a tough life. And so I let her live with me at 18. And Stabler's like, yeah, to help pay for shit. You're not a good person. And she says, yeah, she helps me out. So what? I have MS. Okay. And so then Stabler hits her hard and says, so you let her flap. Wait, oh, not physically hits her, just with words. I was like, what the fuck? Stabler
0: backhands her real hard.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, he, like, drags her through the mud and says, so you let her flat back for your meal ticket? And she says, don't you judge me. Um, And that her sister, Gladys's mother, is dead, and she promised to take care of her, and she's doing her best. And they cut back to Misha Barton, who says that she takes care of herself, and Benson's like, yeah, and everyone else, it seems like. You know, you take care of your cousin, your aunt, your pimp, and Benson is like, I want to help. And it's true this time. And she says, oh, yeah? Well, I dropped out of the eighth grade, so what am I going <laughs> to... So I do what I got to do. And it's like, okay, we get it. You dropped out of the eighth grade. Such heavy-handed writing. I can't, so I do what I got to do. It's Uh like she was speaking normally just a moment ago. And all of a sudden she turned into like a weird little ragamuffin. Uh Um, And Benson is just pleading like, please, like, I just want to help you. And Gladys is not buying it. And um, we find out that the pimp's name is Marmalade. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Um, so I, what I don't love is he did follow her home from school Um, and you know they dated and then treats you like a queen and so Benson is like I know what's up you know like oh so you started dating he treats you like a queen and she goes yeah yeah he would take me to Macy's and buy me whatever I wanted and she was in love and then they started having sex aka rape she is a child and then he made her fuck her as friends and then she started crying and then everyone's crying he beat her and now this is her life as a hoe and she's his hoe and He said, if you're going to fuck, might as well get paid for it. And that's sad so then Benson shifts to ask like what did this last guy look like and she doesn't know they all look the same after a while and she asks did he say anything to you and he did um and it was like super creepy and religious um and he goes are you ready to meet your father and she says she will never forget that voice and she says that another one of her sex worker friends named Spud (laughs) and I kept thinking I misheard it but it is Spud okay it
0: is Spud because I think I saw it with the captions on and what a name what a street name I rewinded
1: multiple times. I went on IMDb and her name is Spud and I don't get it.
0: I think it's like, um, cause she's really little. Like, don't you call Spud like a little guy, like a Spud? It's a potato. I know, but well, I don't know. It's, I think it may be cause she's like maybe the youngest in the group or something. And they it call reminds her me spud. of like
1: Pumpkin from Flava Flav. It's just like kind of, but yeah. Pumpkin's kind pumpkin's of cute. Pumpkin's cute at least. Spud is a wild choice. Pud is wild, but her name is Spud. You are hearing that correctly. <laughs> so basically, this girl, Spud, met him and heard that little thing and like the father quote and was like, "Get the f- I'm getting out of here. So she ran away. It would freaked her out she got away. So they go to talk to Spud at Pat's Diner and we're here and so they're like, Sunshine needs to keep her mouth shut, right, Spud? And Spud looks 14, so young and then this older lady's with her coaching her on what to say and she says, I kind of like talking to people so it's fine and she starts talking but then the pimp Marmalade walks in and they stop talking immediately and Benson and Stabler walk up to Marmalade Marmalade, and go, that girl is 12, and he says, I don't know her. And if you ask, she'll say that too. And Benson says, one of them will talk, and then your sweet jelly is going to be all over prison. <laughs> and is that jizz or blood? I think it's because insides? his name is Marmalade. I know, but so are people going to punch him and his blood is the jelly, or is he going to like... I, that's a great question. Or is this like a, an ejaculate joke? But if he's getting assaulted,
0: I don't know if he'd be oh, coming. You're like, right. I don't know what it is. You're right. I don't know. I didn't even think about that, Lisa, And that's why you're a good podcast partner because your mind goes places that I, mine doesn't. You didn't think what the sweet I didn't, jelly is? I just thought, oh, she's making a marmalade joke and I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> Whatever. Maybe he'll just be like, your ass is grass. Like, yeah. you're going to be squished. <laughs> um, but I think I would need a dog named Marmalade. Okay. So they'll be <laughs> like, oh, do you love jam? I'll be like, no, it's actually a pimp from a sad episode <laughs> of SVU. <laughs> Season eleven. Do you remember? Spud walks over to Stabler and says, "If you ever need a girl for a party, call me. I love cops." Um, and what I thought a wild she said cops. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I get, I bet the cop. And so, but then she slides over a napkin to him, and Spud is on top of it. There's a drawing of the creepy preacher man, and it says him, just in case they thought it was a random drawing that she was <laughs> making, and that he drives a red Buick. And Finn brings up a bunch of papers, and Br- Benson brings in more papers. They have lots of papers. They're like, "We're gonna look at these papers." For for months. But don't worry, Stabler's on the phone and we're going to get something good. And um, it was Spud. And Spud said that the red Buick is circling around. So they enter the red Buick in the middle of an intense struggle. They take his ass out and arrest him. And he starts talking shit about the Bible. Uh, Oh, not, you know, Bible shit. He loves the Bible. He's not talking shit about the Bible. (laughs) Um, And the sex worker is screaming and is very happy to be saved. And she says, she told him to whip it out and he took out a Bible and she's like that fucking freak. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, he started talking about the meeting of the uh, the father. So she cut his ass. And he goes, see, she attacked me. Um, and it's like, we don't care. We're a piece of work. And this guy's Lee Tergeson. And Margaret Cho could not stop talking about him when we interviewed her. She loves him. They are friends. And also, he's been on Oz, duh, of course, one of the main characters of Oz. And I wonder if, like, Maloney and him had a good time. And I imagine them going, I love playing with him. They're lovers on the show, right? Oh, yeah. Oz. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they'd be fucking. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if they were just, like, so excited to be thespians again together. <laughs> um... So they're into interrogation, and Stabler is telling him, Yeah, she cut you because you caged her in your car. And he's like, I only did that so she sat long enough to hear the message. And Stabler's like, Yeah. You guys always have a message, don't you? And he says, Well, it's not my message, it's God's. And he thinks there's a better life for girls like that in heaven. And Stabler calls him God's little messenger boy. And it's like, that's funny. <laughs> um, he says, God put him on earth to fight Satan's grip on these girls' souls. And he says, Sometimes dying is better than living. Um, very gen Z. Stabler says, Did you just admit you killed these girls? And he says, No, I've never harmed a soul, but whoever did this to the sent these girls to heaven out of love, and it's not murder. Um, He grabs Stabler and puts his hand on his shoulder and does a prayer for God and like they... It's weird. They put their foreheads together and they start doing Catholic quotes back to each other. And it's, <laughs> will they kiss? <laughs> Feels uh, like
0: an Easter egg for the Oz watchers. It to really be does. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, um, you know, they talk about forgiveness and he wants a confession, but the guy says, I have nothing to confess, detective, but I'm willing to forgive. And that's why I won't press charges against that little angel who cut me. And he says, well, that little angel won't be so forgiving. And we go straight to the lineup with Misha and Mariska getting, you know, know, her in the zone. And then Buchanan comes in. So we know he's about to fucking fuck some shit up. And he's like, nobody will believe this teen whore. (laughs) Then he starts playing mind games with her. Oh, I don't think they'll arrest you. And she's like, wait, what? Why would they arrest me? And he's like, you're a prostitute. And she's like, is he telling the truth? And they go, no, 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 no. And he goes, cops lie all the time, Gladys. And they get pissed and yell one. And then it's like, yell one more thing and you'll be collared for intimidation of a witness bitch. And Misha Barton's like, I don't think I can do this and Benson pressures her to do it and the men you know they meet your father they do a quote they do a quote but then Lee Turgeson just stares into the mirror and he goes closer and closer and she's like I thought you couldn't see me it's really scary and then he's you know Catholic nonsense so he's doing some Bible hell talk and moving closer and closer (laughs) and so then she yells it's him and starts to run away as you know as he continues to mouth off and she runs and falls down the stairs in some of the worst acting I've ever seen (laughs) and then Benson notices that she's pregnant oh no done done we're in the hospital with dr manning aka amir arison who's um big on blacklist uh but he's in nine episodes of svu he's played two different doctors and he tells the detectives that she'll be okay and so will the fetus the fetus is 24 weeks and healthy and stabler is hoping that this is what she needs to turn her life around and benson needs to talk to her and the doctor is like absolutely not she needs to rest and they're like we need to talk to her and he goes tomorrow and he puts his foot down and i love that you know Yes. I wonder how he
0: could tell that the fetus is healthy. You need to do, like, a full anatomy scan to figure that out. It's a long, invasive appointment. <laughs> you can't just do an ultrasound? Um, to be fully sure that it's okay. I'm just wondering because down the road, we know that it has a lot of problems. So, like, what—you hap- know? So, anyway, yeah. just wondering. Yeah. So without
1: like a formal ID from her, though, they got to let this guy go. And uh, Stabler's like, ah, Cabot will figure it out. So we got cut straight to arraignment. And we have Judge Linda Maskin in the house today with a gorgeous updo. <laughs> and Cabot and Buchanan go at it. And Skaggs, that's Lee turguson is like, I'm a servant of God and nobody cares. And the judge holds him in remand without bail. He does. She does not care. And back to Benson and Stabler at the hospital. And they're telling Gladys the good news and that he'll be off the streets. She says thanks and she She says she feels awesome and that everyone at the hospital is so nice and she's going to make an appointment for her pregnancy and she's taking vitamins and she's super excited. And Benson's like, but you understand you have to make big changes in your life if you want to keep this baby. And she's like, yeah, duh. (laughs) Um, And I want to keep the baby. And Stabler's like, well, if you change your mind, we'll help you put the baby for adoption. And she's like, I want to keep it. And he goes, are you sure? (laughs) Like he does not want her to keep this baby. And she says, I want a new life and this is my way to get it. And Stabler, very smart. I actually like, I agree with him here. Yeah. He says, no, you're giving life to the baby and not the other way around.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think this happens a lot. Like, people that have had tough lives, they say, sometimes they think, like, having a baby, it's like making your own family. Like, oh, I haven't had love, so I'm going to create something that condi- unconditionally loves me. And um, But don't think through all the other hardships of having a child. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. She says, I'm going to be a good... And I love that Stabler's like, your life's going to change. And it's like, your life has not changed. Do You even take care of your children. <laughs> like, you work 16-hour days. Like, wh- what are you talking about? Kathy Stabler's life changed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She says, I'm going to be a good mom, I promise. And that she already loves the baby. And uh-oh, the aunt's in the doorway and she's pissed. She's like, what, baby? And she's accusing her of lying and she's screaming at her for hiding it and lying. And she's like, you don't even know who the father is. And Benson says, I think Gladys needs your support. And she turns around evil and goes, you need to stay out of our family business. Who's going to feed this baby or pay for stuff? Will you? I didn't think so. And get your do-goody <laughs> do- asses out of here.
0: Did she say do goody
1: asses? Yeah. You think <laughs> I wrote that? You thought you thought that was an original Lisa statement? Do goody asses? <laughs> Did she say do gooder? I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) They slowly turn around and leave, and they're back at the precinct having some coffee, and they're like, damn, what are the odds this baby will have a normal life? And he says, define normal. And he thinks the baby's only chance at a good life is if she puts it up for adoption. But it's like, this is a mess, but at least we got his ass locked up. Then Cabot walks in right on time to say, not so fast. Upon further review, the judge dismissed the lineup. She's calling for a Wade hearing so Gladys can make an official ID. And she has to do it, and if she fucks it up, then he goes free and kills more women so Cabot says that's why I need you to go become her best friend and they go and the aunt opens the door and Gladys is not there and she has no idea when she'll be back and Benson's holding like a baby gift in a festive gift bag and the aunt tries to close the door and Benson pushes it open and says did you kick a pregnant girl out on the street and she says I gave her every chance and Benson is like you gave her a lousy sofa as long as she could pay your rent she yells that she has two kids of her own and disability doesn't pay much like how do you want me to pay for a baby And she says, well, maybe not abandon Gladys. I don't know, bitch. Figure it out. So then um, the aunt in her like stepmother evil fashion says she makes her own decisions. And the moment she decided to get into that pimp's car and Benson screams, she was 12 years old. Have you ever heard of breaking a bitch? And she's pleading with this woman and is like, come on, she she has a chance with you. The pimp took away everything. She has been dependent on him. Like, let's do this. Let's help Gladys. Let's- let's do it. And, um, she says, I love her, but I was at the end of my rope, but I do think she feels guilty. And, um, and then she gives a little clue and she says she was on her computer before she left. So now we head over to Joel De La Fuente, AKA Ruben Morales, AKA Taru. <laughs> so they see that she put an ad up on Craigslist. Stabler is like, same place you can buy a used lawnmower and Benson says, or a woman and probably for cheaper. Not good. Um and her post says add sunshine to your night. Um, there's a message from Red Hook, so they go to Red Hook. They open the door. It's two stoner men. One is Henry Zabrowski, and the other is another man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and you know Henry personally. Yes, yeah, Henry's a, a old pal of mine from New York, and he has a podcast that that does true crime and stuff called Last Podcast on the Left. They talk about. I think they, they talk about true crime, but also like alien stuff. Also, like it goes a little bit wider than true crime, but they're really funny, those guys. Yeah, super funny. I think we have some crossover. I think some of you guys like last pod.
1: And they have a giant bong, these boys. <laughs> um, and they're like, we ordered pizza, not a woman. <laughs> and the detectives go to search more of the apartment. And she's there and barely conscious in a leopard print 90 or like a bra. And they're like, what the fuck? And the stoner guys say that like they thought she left after they banged her. And then there are liquids everywhere. Fuck, her water broke. We need a bus. And then she starts seizing. Eyes rolled back in her head, and I, I thought she, I bet she thought she nailed this scene. She,
0: I will say, that's the best thing Misha Barton did in this scene was her eyes really did roll back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. Um, and I do hope those stoners go to jail. Yeah, for solicitation, for solicitation. at least. Yeah, and, um,
1: weed wasn't legal at the time. Ta- like, I just hope they get put away because they truly, like, obviously fucked
0: like. They did something bad to her for her to, uh, water broke. Or can your water just break? I think your water can just break. I think the problem was like the pregnancy was like not. At, but it's crazy because I think she was only like three months along. I don't even know if like you have water yet. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's confusing. Um, we have another doctor
1: from earlier. And so it's not that guy. We get Dr. France, who is Elizabeth Marvel,
0: a.k.a. Linda Calhoun. Yep. Rita Calhoun.
1: Rita, why did you yeah. write Linda? I don't know. Um, so it's Rita Calhoun, so that's really exciting. And I always saw her as, like, being in the show for so long as Rita Calhoun. I forgot that she, yeah. uh, up until 11, was, like, playing a weird doctor.
0: And in an episode, like, with Buchanan, I kind of think of them as, like, the same class of, like, evil defense attorneys. Yeah. She must come back, like, the following We should look, but when she comes back as Rita...
1: Yeah, I hope we can get her
0: for this podcast. Yeah. I'm really
1: obsessed with her. Um what if we got her just for this one when she plays a doctor <laughs> for 1 second? She explains Misha has a grand oh god. Okay. So she explains that Misha has a grand mal seizure brought on by preeclampsia with brain edema and Stabler like you and I are like English please. And basically blood pressure was super high. And so they had to do a C-section and the baby's four months early and barely weighs a pound. Yeah. And the baby has lots of issues. Um, And there's going to be like so much surgery and months in the NICU and the chance to live is 17 to 40%. Stabler says, it's worth it. And the doctor goes, I disagree. And Stabler goes, it's murder. And she says, no, this baby will be blind, cerebral palsy, severe mental retardation. You think that's good? Like Stabler, anti-choice Catholic adoption vibes. And it's like, why don't you adopt the baby then? Why don't you do that? But he says, you don't know. Maybe a baby can live a normal life. And she says, it's slim chances, bro, and I'm a doctor. So then um, they ask if Gladys knows. And the doctor says, like, I told her, but sometimes it takes a while to sink in what's happening. Now, Misha's with the baby who's in the plastic baby emergency holder thing. (laughs) Do you know what that one's (laughs) called? An incubator. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I thought incubator. Yeah, I loved having baby chicks in first grade. We had, like, an incubator with eggs, and then we had all these chicks in the classroom. Yeah, that's so cute.
0: God, Miss Ardell. Love you, okay, And then two of the baby chicks got to go on the bachelor, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um
1: and then sometimes during class, they would like escape their little cage, and there would be like little <laughs> chicks walking around. It's so cute. Misha's I loved first grade. Guess how many jelly beans are in a jar. That was fun, yeah.
0: It only Your goes start downhill of the from week, there. Chat
1: like, <laughs> it's like read a book. I don't know. It was first grade was nice. Okay, so Misha's with um, the baby who's in a plastic baby. Em- oh yeah, an incubator. Um. And she calls the baby a miracle, but hasn't named her yet. She wants to pick the right name and then take her home. And Benson's like, "Er, that might not be for a long time. And she goes, I'm not worried. She'll be fine. And Benson's like, what if she's not? What then? And Benson starts to plead with Misha, like, she can't suck or swallow on her own. And I think those are wild actions to pick from all the actions to talk to us, like like a sex worker. (laughs) Be like, your baby won't suck or swallow. And it's like, could you have thought of something different? (laughs) like i there's other things you could have said yeah um she asks if she thinks the baby is suffering benson answers i don't know Misha's like, she can't die. She can't. I told them to do whatever it takes to save her. Um, but it's also like, okay, medical bills. And then Benson walks in and says to Stabler and anyone else who's around that she's going to do everything she can to save the baby. And Stabler says, like, do no harm. And it's like, do you want to join Lee Turgeson and read scripture to girls and then bully them into doing what you want? Like, <laughs> get, stay out of it, Stabler. And so Benson and Stabler have a back and forth. And Stabler says, well, you're not a parent, so you don't get it. And then Benson's like, because I'm not a mother, I don't care about this baby. And he says that's not what he meant. And it's like, it is what you meant. Yeah, It's absolutely what you meant. And... He loves to do that shit. Well, yeah. And the whole thing is like, being a parent makes you care about other babies less because you care about yours the most. (laughs) Like, that's the whole point. It's like... No. That's what (laughs) parenthood
0: is.
1: (laughs) That's why... I think that's why people are so into keeping a nuclear family because you're like, I care about my family. And that's why they let... like. If we cared about all the kids, kids wouldn't be at the border. Kids wouldn't be places. But people I care know, about but their I nuclear have found, family.
0: I've always loved kids. And I found since I had kids, I'm more affected by like stories about mistreatment of kids or, kid, or anything. I care more about other kids. Yeah, but it's like the
1: thing of like our friends like buying a house in a different neighborhood to not do the school system. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, cuz you don't care about other kids. You want your kid to have the best, the best. shit. Yeah, I, yeah, I hear you. And so, well, it's also kind of like at Rosie's birthday party, who stayed who brought the best gifts? The people without kids. <laughs> who stayed late to help put the chairs away and help you clean up? The people, the people without, without kids. kids. <laughs> when you have kids, you focus on your kids. Yeah. And so, to, like, tell Olivia she wouldn't care about this baby, especially all the work that she does at the police station, is like, go fuck yourself. No, yeah. Um, But then she brings Eli into the discussion, which, if this was the Real Housewives, there would be a full physical (laughs) altercation. Do not talk about the kids. (laughs) And they don't understand analogies in the Real Housewives universe. So it's like, to bring (laughs) Eli into the discussion, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, but he says I wouldn't uh," he basically says I wouldn't play God and she says then don't play doctor either. Ooh. And Cabot walks in to break the tension and she says let me guess the baby. I mean I just wonder what and Elliot would actually do. Because hasn't he had moments of compassion where he does like let the kids? Yeah, like go? what about that guy the who like kidnapped
0: the, his own baby because the baby was like gonna, do- like was in pain and having a horrible death, but the guy wanted to take him off. I think the father wanted to keep him on and the mother wanted to take him off of life support. And like, I think, is Stabler not in that one? I don't know. They have had issues like this before. Yeah. Or, like the Tay Sachs episode. Yes. Like they killed her, they, ended their baby's life because they were like, the baby's only going to be in pain and have a horrible life, so. I know, so I'm wondering, like, would Saber yeah.
1: keep, like, a Tay-Sachs baby in pain? Also, like, I don't what happens get it.
0: when, like, you do go to the hospital and you're a sex worker with no money and they're like, this is going to require millions of dollars of surgery? Does the hospital do it? Knowing know. that what you can't rules? pay for it, I don't. Well, know. I don't know
1: because I've heard stories of like people getting turned away from hospitals because they don't have insurance, and then like dying on
0: the streets. Yeah. so it's
1: like I don't know what the ethical.
0: I don't know what happens because I mean I had to put a credit card down for my my birds. You know, like if my insurance didn't pay for it, they probably would have charged my card or something. Your births, my birds.
1: Yes, it sounded like birds, but I knew you were talking <laughs> my, about your
0: births. But it was <laughs> when static. I brought my birds to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But also going back to the parent thing, like, even when I would babysit, like, if anyone was kind of mean to the kid I babysat at the park, it's like, watch, like, I'm not nice to you. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be like, get the fuck away from this kid. Yeah, it is crazy (laughs) to act like,
0: it, it, it. but it's part of the whole, like, hubris of people that do have, like, tons of kids and are Catholic and are like, what am I trying to say? That, like, Stabler is just like, we know because we're parents. It's like our special magical gift. It's like, no, other people can care about children. Like,
1: yeah, and people that have children are horrible to their children. <laughs> if you watch SVU, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like
0: if you're a parent, you'd understand uh, how all these parents are doing a pretty bad job. I watch it every week. yeah, that's <laughs> definitely
1: another thing of like, oh, parents, it just it makes you a better person. It's like, what about? I'm trying to think of why are all the SVU episodes, I'm like falling for a blank. I don't know, even the rock star mom was bad. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the rock star mom.
1: When are we getting Hayden Panettiere? <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but last week I watched Scream 2, 3, and 4. I didn't know that. Great. Did you see 5? Yeah, Of course. Yeah. I saw it on a plane.
0: Yeah.
1: I think I told you I watched that and then the guy next to me was watching Silence of the Lambs and I'm like, oh, look, we, we love horror, we're fun. And then he watched Django Unchained and I'm like, you're unhinged. Like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Silence of the Lambs and of the Lambs Django on a plane Unchained is wild. Back to back. So I, you know, everyone knows on this podcast that I love Silence of the Lambs, but to watch it on a plane feels wild.
1: I like being, well, one time this I was watching. This man's making skin suits out of women. One time I was watching. You're over the Idaho. The Gift. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That's scary. And Mateo was sitting in front of me, but I got so scared that I screamed so loud. And then I just saw his like head slowly pop up with the most evil glare. Like, what is wrong with you? And it's like the gift. Um, Cabot walks in to break the tension. Um, and she says, "Let me guess, the baby." (laughs) So Cabot (laughs) knows that they're arguing. I mean, they yeah. But Stabler likes to do this to live, and it does piss me off. And I feel defensive of Olivia Mm -hmm. when he's just like, "Yeah, you fucking spinster. I don't give a shit what you think, or you don't understand." I just hate when he talks down to her. Yeah, or like talks about her dad. Like I just don't like when he comes for her. And empathy is her one of her biggest traits. It's insane, like. She fucking helped your wife in a car accident give birth to your son as she was dying. I just, ugh, what a fuck. And Benson is like, yeah, I mean, me and Elliot obviously don't see eye to eye. I'm also really defensive about this because this has happened to me.
0: Yeah. People say crazy shit to me. You won't understand. And like, I wouldn't, I could never say that to a person, but
1: it's also like of course I w- like I also know things are t- I don't know it just it does bother me she says well let's just focus on putting the red Buick guy away and Cabot's like we need her to testify and Benson's like her baby's like a pound she's not gonna leave the hospital and Cabot says I don't care um, we cannot let him get back on the streets. so if she doesn't come arrest her for prostitution and Benson doesn't want to and Cabot's like I don't care you have to do it so it cuts to Misha singing a song to her baby in the plastic box aka incubator and she. You know, she's been having trouble breathing, but the baby's chilling right now. Benson crouches down and says, you have to testify. She says, I'm not leaving my baby. And Benson goes, well, if you don't, I'll arrest you for prostitution. And she says, I'm not going anywhere and go to hell. So Benson arrests her. This sucks. Her curls look incredible. I, like, where did Misha Barton
0: find time at the hospital to do an immaculate curl yeah. session to her yeah. hair? Also, the baby that they use for this must be a prop. You cannot get a baby that tiny. I was very
1: uncomfortable every time they showed that yeah. little, like, baby on the verge yeah, of death.
0: Yeah, yeah, That was a lot. They
1: were, like, doing baby CPR on her. Yeah. I'm like, we don't need this. I think it's a
0: prop, fake baby. Yeah, I don't
1: think they stole a baby from the NICU. From the NICU. (laughs) Get your SAG cards early.
0: Like, I don't think so. Do you have a baby that was born two to three months early? (laughs) The casting (laughs) breakdown? Sorry. (laughs) This is fucked up. (laughs) So she's on the stand retelling
1: the attack and she points to Bill Skag, Skag Skaggy, Lee Turgeson. And oh no, it's Buchanan's time. So this is not going to be good. And he's obviously an asshole. He's spinning it that she's turning on him now to make a deal and not because it's really him who did it. And he's like, you dumb bitch. Why did you drop out of the eighth grade? And it's like yelling that someone at 12 did something wrong. It's like to yell at a 12 year old for not going back to eighth grade is just so weird. It's very vicious. That's what makes him such a good defense attorney. And she says, none of that matters. Like, the man who tried to kill me, like, that's the truth and I'm not going to let him get away with that. And her eyes are tearing up. She's doing good. I believe they put a little stick of menthol shit under her eyes. I don't (laughs) think she can cry. And no no shade. Um, He calls her a criminal and she looks sad. And then Cabot comes back up and asks, how long did your pimp control you? And she says since she was 12 years old. Um, So 10 years. So how many nights a week did he force you to work? Five. How many men a night six so then she does all the math and she says since the age you were 12 you've been raped 13,000 times we can sit with that number and then she says yes and Cabot says I hope I cleared things up for you counselor as she turns to Buchanan and says that's a victim and points to Skaggs and goes and that's a criminal love this Cabot so hot drop so he gets up and goes, "Excuse me, I'm a criminal." And the judge yells at him to sit down. And he starts talking about Satan penetrating her, and then goes, "You whore! God demands your repentance." And he pushes the table and runs to the witness box. And the bailiff knocks him off his feet and onto the ground. And the judge is hitting her gavel like that's gonna do anything. Like this man is having an emotional, wild, psychological break and like jumping up and down. And you think the gavel's gonna stop? Yeah. Him. <laughs> Maybe gavel on his order, head a little. Order, order.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs>
1: go back. <laughs> she says the ID will be used and he needs to be taken away and he's screaming and screaming. He's being dragged out by three men as he screams. Barton looks very stressed in the hallway now and Benson walks out and says, Cabot's dropping the prostitution charges. You're a good girl. Uh, oh, you're a good girl. That, uh, she didn't say anything. to <laughs> Oh my God. Um, And she is sad about everything Buchanan said about her and Benson says, that's all behind you and she says, this will never be behind me and I, yeah. So she's crying. What am I supposed to tell my baby when she she grows up and they're like, your baby is not gonna grow up. Like, how many
0: more times do we have to tell her? Yeah, you? yeah, your baby is done. And will for. not understand what prostitution even is. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: like-, like I um obviously this is sad, but um, it's like, I don't know. So um it's awkward. Benson is good and she says, All that matters is that you love your little girl and you will make the right decision for her now and she will understand. Amisha says, Yeah, and cries and says, Right decision. Ugh, then hugs her and smiles and she cries and walks off. And then Benson looks worried as she watches her leave you know, the courthouse and Craig and knocks on Benson's apartment and he has papers in his hand. A lawyer left this for you at the station. He says, and Gladys left her power of attorney over her daughter and wrote um, her a note. Um, Olivia, I realized today that you are right. I do need to make the right decisions from now on. That's why I've decided to go away and figure everything out. I know you will be there for my baby and do what's best for her until I get back and be the mother that she deserves. And so Mariska runs to the hospital and Dr. France is there and meets her. Her and the baby's brain is bleeding and they need her permission to operate and her chances are not good without surgery. And even with surgery, she can have brain damage for the rest of her life. And Benson is thinking and the camera zooms in on her and there's crying and she's trying to decide what to do. And that is a real cliffhanger. Dick Wolf baby.
0: What do you think she does?
1: Um, Calls Elliot. I don't know, to shame her. Um,
0: <sighs> I think she lets the baby pass. You do. Yeah, because we'd hear about this baby, like there'd be something about it, don't you think? Yeah, but
1: I think she wants to do what Gladys wants,
0: maybe. Yeah. But it's like, does power of attorney mean financial? It's like again, I don't know who pays for millions of dollars of surgery. I don't know. I have no idea. But there's not been that many cliffhangers
1: on SVU that aren't two parters. Yeah. So that's it. The only one I could think of is the Shannon Sossaman one yeah, yeah, with the yeah. college um professor rape, but like. This or is like, the only or one. like even
0: identity, where it's like which one did it,
1: you know? Yeah, very rare to have a cliffhanger. Yeah. So and Star studded. While I was watching it, and I saw Misha Bart. I'm like, it can't be Lee Turgeson but it, it wait, what? Like it was yeah. um a wild episode, and we learned a lot of
0: words. Yes. Um, okay, we will be right back with some crazy true crime. <laughs> Okay, Lisa, do you know anything about the Yorkshire Ripper?
1: No, but is that, because what's, I know Jack the Ripper. There's Jack the Ripper. So I actually don't know. That's old
0: timey. Yorkshire Ripper is the 70s and early 80s. Okay, so this episode is based on Peter William Sutcliffe, who was an English serial killer, who the media nicknamed the the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, And he was, um, his name is Peter William Sutcliffe, but eventually after he went to jail, spoiler alert, he gets caught. He started using his mother's maiden name and going by William Peter William Coonan. Um, So anyway, this man killed 13 women and attacked 10 others between 1975 and 1980. And I actually knew nothing about this. And I had started watching The Ripper. There's a four-part series on um, Netflix called The Ripper, which is one of my sources here. And... I started watching it and for some reason it was like boring me. And then when I watched it this time, I was like really wrapped by it. So I don't really know why I was just the wrong time. Anyway, Um, there is a four-part series all about this man. Um, He was born, this man, Peter Sutcliffe, was born to a working-class Catholic family. He was a loner. He dropped out of school at 15. He had a bunch of shitty jobs. Like, he was a grave digger. And then I guess that led to a job part-time at a morgue. And he, like, apparently bragged to his friends about robbing bodies at the morgue. So... Like, and he started to develop like sort of a sick sense of humor, they said once he started grave digging and working at the morgue. So eventually he became a truck driver, and then that was the job he had the entire time that he was um killing. But it's kind of that's kind of irrelevant. It doesn't really have anything to do with it. Um He was known to patronize sex workers, and apparently, uh, there's a sort of unsubstantiated claim, I think, that one time a sex worker stole from him with her pimp, and that that is sort of what started his hatred for sex workers. But um, his first recorded attack was in 1969, and he was, so he was about 23, and he was out looking for the woman who robbed him, and he met a different woman who is unnamed. She didn't want to be named, and I think never pressed charges, and he hit her over the head with a rock and a sock, okay? So that's his first attack. Um, She got his license plate number, cops questioned him. He admitted to hitting her, but said he did it with his hand, and then they let him off because the woman just wanted to drop the whole thing. I mean, I wish that she had pushed it a little because this guy went on to do some pretty bad damage. But um, fast forward to 19- drag her, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you dumb bitch. No, I'm just totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. She got hit with a sock, a rock, and a sock. So fast forward to 1975, six years later, and I do think that he attacked in between 69 and 75, but 75 is where it's note. It's like documented that he started like kind of becoming more active attacker slash killer. So around this time when he starts, he's like 29. He attacks three other women in a row, Anna Rogalski, Olive Smelt, and uh, a teenager named Tracy Brown. And these are like five weeks and two weeks apart, these attacks. So in the first two cases, he hit the women over the head with what's called a ball peen hammer. I hate it because it sounds like you're saying penis, like peen. But do you know what a ball peen hammer is? It's like flat on one side. It has like a ball on the other side. So it's like a little hand hammer. It's small. And um, that was like his weapon of choice. Like he always would knock women out with that, like really hurt, like smash their skulls with it. And then he would slash their midsections. In in both cases here, he was interrupted. And that is what saved these women's lives, thankfully. Um, But they, um, Who did he get interrupted by? Like, like cars going by. Like, he didn't know what he was doing at first. He would just, like, attack women on open roads at night, and then, like, a car would come by, and he'd run away. You know? So, like, he wasn't planning things. He wasn't, like, a sophisticated killer at the beginning. Um, so, those women lived, but they had massive trauma from the attacks, both, like, mental and, like, brain, like, literal brain damage from the... Um, oh, my God. A
1: friend, um, a comic, told me that he dared someone at school once to snort, like, Uh, lead from a lead pencil and that he never came back to school again. What? Oh, Jesus.
0: That's aggressive.
1: And everyone hated
0: him because he made the kid do it. Careful with your dares, dudes. That's wild. Okay, so, and Olive Smelt told the police that this man had a Yorkshire accent. The police ignored that, okay? In Tracy's case... Um, he hit her with a hammer a bunch of times and then was scared off by headlights. Why would they ignore that? They just, they they didn't connect these attacks at the beginning to the Yorkshire Ripper yet. So there were all these attacks, there were like these attacks or whatever. They were all the same with cut midsections and they didn't know it was the same person? The police incompetence in this case is going to astound you. You need to like, you need to just prepare yourself because it gets so much worse. Um, and there's there's like, sh- there's like, echoes of it in the SVU episode not the police incompetence but the way that the police look at sex workers i mean you could even when when stabler's like trying to figure out that the first victim abby it's like i don't think she's a sex worker it's like what does it matter find out like what happened to her like you know it's like the obsession with like this wasn't even a sex worker this was an innocent regular person it's yeah. like that's they do a lot of that shit here so Anyway, like I said at the beginning, he was really amateur. It seems like he just attacked whenever he thought he had an opportunity, but he just didn't know how to like keep himself like from getting caught. And so he would like run off mid-attack. So then his first murder victim was in October of 1975 in Leeds, which is like a city in Yorkshire in England, where a lot of around which a lot of these crimes happened and Her name was Wilma McCann. She was a 28-year-old divorced sex worker with four kids, and she was found yards from the house where she lived with her four kids. So um, they talked to her kids in this interview, too. It's, like, really heartbreaking. Um, So Sutcliffe hit her twice with a hammer, stabbed her many times, um, and, and a medical examiner in the Netflix doc, The Ripper, said it was done by someone, a considerably disturbed person. So, Well, you didn't need to be a
1: medical examiner
0: to know that. Exactly, exactly. I thought I'd throw that professional quote in. Um, But so Leeds at the time is considered like a decaying suburb. So uh, I guess just like a lot of industry had left the city. And so they have a red light district. And it seems that Sutcliffe at that point refocused his attention on sex workers and like started work like killing in areas and attacking in areas with red light districts. Which was why none they didn't connect him to the first three attacks because they weren't sex workers and they weren't um, in areas that had red light districts. So that was why they sort of didn't connect it at first. But again, it seems dumb. So the press called Wilma a quote-unquote good-time girl, and one of the reasons that he was able to avoid capture for so long was because the press, like, they say it in this inter- in these interviews, they're like, they do not give a fuck about sex workers. Like, one reporter goes, yeah, you read about Wilma McCann, and you're just, like, another minor story, like a sex worker being murdered. Like, And so, at first it wasn't super acknowledged. There wasn't a big investigation yet. His next murder was about three months later, also in Leeds. He killed a 42-year-old named Emma Emily Jackson, by hitting her on the head with a hammer, stabbing her 56 times, psycho, he um, stamped on her thigh and left a boot print. So that's like the first piece of kind of evidence they get about him is this boot print, like what kind of boots and what size shoe. So she had been persuaded, Emily Jackson, by her husband to turn to sex work to help support their family. And she usually did that out of the family's roofing van. But in this case, Sutcliffe had picked her up and driven her to a a bad part of town. So I think he started to realize, I can't just kill women I see walking down the street. I've got to get a woman in my car and take her to a place where I can kill her to not be detected or whatever. So his next attack was a 20-year-old named, I think it's... It's Marcella, but in England, I think they say Marcella. So anyway, Marcella Claxton um, is uh, attacked three months later in May, and she was walking home from a party. Sutcliffe offered her a ride. She got out of the car to pee, and he hit her with a hammer. And she somehow survived, and she was able to testify against Sutcliffe later at trial. But at the time, they didn't connect her her attack to the Ripper. Um, She had been four months pregnant at the time and she did miscarry because of the attack. Um, And she needed multiple extensive brain operations and had intermittent blackouts and chronic depression. So all of the women that have survived this have been plagued by like horrible side effects their entire lives. So it's just... Hammers should be outlawed. (laughs) I know. It's like I have three in my house right now. Um, So... The Ripper takes the rest of the year off and then in February of 1977, he's back at it. On February 5th, he attacks Irene Richardson who works in Chapel Town, which is the red light district of Leeds, where that's where Wilma had been the night of her death. And... um Later, people questioned whether Irene was actually a sex worker at all or whether the police just put that on her to fit their theory. Like, there's one guy in the documentary who says, yeah, up until 10 days before her death, she was a really respectable person and then she just slided down into decline and lost her status is what they kept saying. And I was like, so 10 days before she dies, she just becomes a sex worker. Like, it, it feels like the police were just trying to make this a killer of sex workers. I think also in a way to not, like, alert the public. Like, don't worry, if you're not a sex worker, this isn't, like, a big deal. And it's it's super fucked. But Irene's death is what connected, got them all to connect it. It's like, that's when they were like, okay, this is a serial. Like this is a guy who's out here doing this. She was bludgeoned again, and then she was mutilated po- post mortem. Thank God, um, you know, silver lining. Um, and the contents of her purse were like neatly laid out. And they, he's, they say the bodies are displayed. I don't really know what that means because they don't they don't get specific about it. But I think that's a common. Um, part of his MO. So the police also found a tire track near that murder scene. So now they've got the boot print, the tire tracks, and they're just like slowly gathering more evidence. And this is the case where they realize it's a serial killer and they're all sex workers. They're all knocked out, murdered, and there's no evidence of rape. He does not assault them. So this is purely about just like rage towards women and wanting to kill. Um, So a couple of months later in April, he kills a woman named Patricia Tina Atkinson. Tina's in quotes. I guess that's her nickname. And she's a sex worker. And he kills her in her apartment in Bradford. And that's the first time, and maybe the only time, he kills someone in their home. Most of the time, this guy works outside. Uh, And it's like a departure for him. And it's more dangerous for him to, like, you know, be inside a building. People can see you. You know, he usually blitzes them outside or takes them to remote locations. Police found a boot print on the bedclothes so that they could match that. Um, two months later, he murdered Jane McDonald in Chapeltown Town. Now, this was huge. He left this woman's body. She's not, a, she's 16. She's 16. He leaves her on a playground after the murder, but he didn't murder her there. He took her there and left her there. So I don't know if that's like a signal, but she's not a sex worker. And this woke people up and like, that any woman could be a victim of this psychopath. Like, he's not just going after sex workers. And the way that the police cared about this victim more than the other victims is, like, striking. Like, they call her the first innocent victim, which is so gross. Um, She was walking home alone, and they speculated that the Ripper thought she was a sex worker. So it's, like, No, maybe he just wants to kill women and he just sees them at the right time. You know, like he just saw her at the right time and was able to get her into his car somehow. Like, and so everyone's up in arms and there was actually a letter posted in the Yorkshire Evening Post, the paper, to the Ripper. And the letter is like, basically like, you've killed five women and you obviously have a deep hatred for sex workers, but like this time you fucked up and you killed an innocent, quote unquote, lass, a respectable girl from a nice Leeds family. You must have felt really badly when you realized you killed a nice girl. That's the essentially, the, the, the crux of this. And it's also like, maybe he's targeting sex workers because he knows you won't investigate. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So the next month, um, July ninety of I'm sorry, July of seventy seven. He attacks Maureen Long, also in Bradford, but he was interrupted this time, and he took off and left Maureen for dead. Um, and when they found her, she'd been stabbed four to five times and was suffering from hypothermia, and she was hospitalized for nine weeks. And she was considered the first survivor because they hadn't yet linked these first three women to the the attacks by him. But she had such bad brain damage that she couldn't recall any details so she was not helpful as a survivor for them. Um, A witness also misidentified the make of his car, which led to a huge wild goose chase of 300 cops checking thousands of cars and not coming up with shit. Um, On October 1st, that same year, he murdered Gene Jordan, a sex worker from Manchester. That's 90 minutes from Yorkshire, so the police found it weird that he kind of moved out of his area. When he confessed later, the, the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, he said that he realized he had given her a five pound bill to pay her and that it would be traceable to him. So he hosted a party at his house and then he returned to the area where he left the body. He like left the party and couldn't find the money and went back. Like he went back to the body and couldn't find the money and so he left. And so then they found the body eight days later on October 9th. And it was discovered by a local dairy worker and a future actor. This man, Bruce Jones, he's never made it into anything really that's crossed over to the US, but he's an actor in the U- UK. He's been on Coronation Street, which I think is one of their big soaps that's been going on for like decades and decades. Um, so Bruce Jones actually became a suspect. In, because he ran over, he literally tr- like basically tripped over her body and said it was like horrific what had been done to her body. And it caused him to lose his wife, his marriage, and his kids, and it gave him nightmares and affected his mental health. So it really affected him finding this dead body. Obviously, he was not the killer. Back to the $5 bill, the five-pound note, that was inside the pocket of her per- like the inside pocket of her purse, which of course a man doesn't know to look in there, but that's where it was. And they traced it to these, bre- to these certain bank branches, the police looked at all the bank operations and narrowed it down to 8,000 employees who could have had the the money in their packet. And over three months, they interviewed 5,000 people trying to trace this $5 bill, and including Sutcliffe. He was interviewed. And the police said his alibis were credible because he had spent a lot of the evening that he killed her at this party at his house. Like, I think he had like snuck out to kill her. So after weeks of investigation, the $5 note, the five pound note thing led to nothing and that the police were very frustrated. On December 14th, he attacked someone named Marilyn Moore and she was another sex worker from Leeds. She survived. She gave the police a description. Then the tire tracks at her attack matched. Uh, Her description looked like Sutcliffe. So she gave an accurate description. Like in the end, she gave a great description and so had other survivors and she provided a good description of his car which had been seen in Red Light District. So it's like they have a look of this guy. I have to say when you look at him, he's bearded, kind of not a nondescript. Like I'm sure a lot of guys look like him. So then In January of 1978 is when they stopped the $5 bill investigation. And that same month, he killed a 21-year-old named Yvonne Pearson, who was another sex worker in Bradford, bludgeoned her with the ball-peen hammer, jumped on her chest before stuffing horse hair in her mouth from a discarded sofa that was near where he killed her, and then he hid her body under the sofa. Just, like, wild, pointless things to do. Ten days later, he killed Helen Ritka... An 18-year-old sex worker. This is not... I know, uh, it's crazy. There's so many murders. So many. And, like, sometimes he's doing it a week apart, and sometimes he's waiting three months. It's like, you don't know what... Or maybe we're not connecting some of the cases. I'll get I into that a little I bit later. I not know
1: anything about this guy. He's like a
0: madman. Yeah. So... Killed Helen Ritka, 18. Three months later, he killed Vera Milward. She was a 40-year-old sex worker who um, was was actually quite sick. She was frail and sickly. She only had one lung. She had chronic, chronic stomach pains. And she went to go meet a regular client of hers who never showed up. And that's when Sutcliffe picked her up. And she was... Married to a Jamaican man. And like that would be in like, that would be stuff that they would like sort of use against her in the press and stuff. Like they would talk about that in like a way that made it seem like, oh, she was in an interracial marriage, like crazy. So, uh, again, he takes the rest of 1978 off after that May murder, it looks like. And then, it's almost a year, actually, because in April of 79, he kills Josephine Whitaker, who is a 19-year-old building society clerk, which I tried to look it up, and I think it's it's kind of somebody who works in a financial office. And he attacked her um, as she was walking home. And she was not a sex worker. So it's like, it's really not fitting the MO that he hates sex workers. He just hates women. Like, he wants to murder. So it was speculated that because they were monitoring the red light district so heavy in these cities that now he was moving out of them. And that's why he killed this woman because she was just like walking home and like he didn't want to get caught in the red light district. So, um... They had forensics to work off of in this case of Josephine Whitaker, but the police got distracted. And here's what they got distracted with. They received a taped message, allegedly from the Yorkshire Ripper, that was specifically trolling the assistant chief constable, George Oldfield, in the West Yorkshire Police Department, who was leading the investigation. And the tape is a man going, I'm Jack. I see you're having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George, but Lord, you're no nearer to catching me now than you four years ago when I started. So based on this message, the police began searching for a man with a Wearside side accent. This man has a Wearside side accent, which is another type of place in England. And the media are calling him Wearside Jack. This ended up being a total hoax, okay? This loser sent two letters to the police and to the Daily Mirror in 1978, like bragging about his crimes and signing them Jack the Ripper. And then he... Um, he also claimed responsibility for this woman, Joan Harrison, that it, it turned out later was completely another person that did that murder. And then in 2005, they got him because they tested the envelopes from the letters. When they finally had DNA, they tested these envelopes and tracked them to this guy named Samuel, John Samuel Humble, who was an unemployed alcoholic. He was a charged for attempting to pervert the course of justice. He was convicted and sent to eight years in prison and he died in 2019. Anyway, a hoax. But the police got all wrapped up in this hoax. And, and it's like it you had time. victims
1: telling you it was the Yorkshire yeah. accent. And it's like one random man calls and you throw it all yeah, away. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. September 1st of 1979, the Ripper murders 20 year old Barbara Leach, who's a Bradford University student. And this was his 16th attack. But this is another woman who's not a sex worker. So the public is again shocked and they like are much more giving a shit a lot more. So there was like an extensive publicity campaign that involved the Wearside accent, which we know was a false lead. And even in um, 1979, Sutcliffe was interviewed twice. So they they keep interviewing him. He keeps popping up. Despite several forensic clues and being on the list of the 300 names in connection with the five-pound uh, note, he was still not a top suspect. In April of 1980, he got arrested for drunk driving. And while awaiting trial, he killed two more women. The first was a 47-year-old named Marguerite Walls um, on August 20th of 1980. And the second was a 20-year-old named Jacqueline Hill, another student at the Leeds University in November of 1980 in between these two murders, he attacked three other women who survived. Um, Apadia Bandara in in Leeds, Maureen Lee, known as Mo, she's in the documentary talking about her experience, and 16-year-old Teresa Sykes were all attacked, but all three of these women survived. On November 25th, Trevor Birdsall, who is a... They they say an associate of Sutcliffe. They're not calling him a friend. I don't really know how he's related to Sutcliffe. But he's the guy who had driven the car when he first assaulted the woman with the rock and the sock. He was like an unsuspecting getaway driver. He didn't know that he had just done this crime. And he was like, let's go. And he drove the car. in 19, In November of 1980, this guy reported Peter to the police as a suspect. So... Two months later, January of—or less than two months later, in January of 81, he gets stopped by the police. He's got a 24-year-old sex worker in the car with him named Olivia Ravers, and they find that he's got fake plates. So he's arrested. He's questioned in relation to the Yorkshire Ripper case as he's matched many of the physical characteristics. And the next day, the police um, return to the scene of the arrest. This is wild. They, they return to the scene of the arrest and they find a knife, a hammer, and a rope that he had quickly thrown out when he had slipped away from the police telling them he was, quote-unquote, bursting for a pee. So he's getting arrested with the sex worker in the car. He's like, can I go to the bathroom really quick and go piss? And he quickly tosses a bunch of his murder weapons. So they find them back at the original site of the arrest. Then they also found a knife in the toilet tank at the police station when he was allowed to use the toilet at the police station. So this guy's hiding his weapons all I wonder all over the how they knew to look in there. I don't know. Great question. Maybe they just found the knife. They were like, it was probably this guy. Um, but the police got a search warrant for his home, brought his wife in for questioning. This is maybe the weirdest thing I've ever read about a serial killer. When he was stripped down at the jail, he was wearing a V-neck long sleeve top upside down. So he's wearing it with his legs in the sleeves and his dick just dangling out through the fucking neck hole. The weirdest thing I've ever heard, but supposedly it was so he, like, you know how some of those big sweaters and stuff have like pads on the elbows? I think that he was doing it so that the pads would be on his knees for when he like knelt down next to his victims. That's what they speculated. Just dick hanging out of a V-neck Neck hole.
1: You might have to drop... listeners. Can
0: you draw a picture? Because I'm having a <laughs>
1: hard time even. It's picturing funny. This. Robert
0: Dean actually does a joke about this, about like putting a T-shirt on upside down and like having a stick hanging out. Oh no,
1: I see. It's it. like putting I see your, it. it uh, took you know me a what while. I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, like putting your legs into the armholes. And <laughs> what a freak! I mean, well, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So after two days of intensive questioning, Sutcliffe just suddenly confessed that he's the Ripper. Like over the next day, he calmly describes all of his attacks in detail. He knows everything. He knows how he did it, where he left them, what their names are. Like he knows everything, every detail. And he claimed that God had told him to murder the women. And he says, quote, the women I killed were filth, bastard prostitutes who were littering the streets. I was just cleaning up the place a bit. But it's like, You killed plenty of people that were not sex workers. He did deny that he killed Joan Harrison, who the hoax guy had taken credit for, and DNA actually linked that to another guy. So everyone was obsessed with this man when they caught him. They're obsessed with his life story. What caused this? What happened? His parents are clueless. Like, he could have done... Like, they could not believe he could have done something like this. They said he's the last person you would suspect. They said he was a kind and timid child, and they were kind back to him. He grew up in a world... But then... In the third episode, you really get a lot of great perspective from the women that were working on this case, like female journalists, and it's like really, really interesting. I really like recommend this uh, four-part series on Netflix. And she's like, "No, it's very easy to see how this happened. He grew up in a world where contempt and dislike of women were commonplace. His dad beat his mom, and people would call him a mama's boy and a sissy. So he connected everything about women and femininity with weakness. So then, as a man, he switches over to violence as his way to like prove that." He's a man. So at his trial, he pleaded not guilty to 13 charges of murder, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, which is essentially a mental disease or defect um, defense here in, in the US. And the basis of his defense was that he claimed to be the tool of God's will. And uh, he said he heard voices that ordered him to kill prostitutes while working as a grave digger. And he pleaded guilty to the seven charges of attempted murder. The prosecution planned to accept his plea after four psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. The judge, Justice Sir Leslie Borum, wanted a full explanation of why they were entering this plea and why he should accept this plea. And after a long conference with the prosecutors, he rejected the diminished responsibility plea An expert, and all the expert testimonies of the psychiatrist. So he was just like, I don't care. I'm throwing it out. I think it's wrong. And he insisted that the case be dealt with by a jury. So the trial was set for May 5th of 1981. It lasted two weeks and despite his efforts, the, the efforts of his lawyer, he was found guilty of murder on all the counts and was sentenced to 20 concurrent sentences of life imprisonment. The jury Rejected the evidence of the four psychiatrists that Sutcliffe had paranoid schizophrenia, and they also heard testimony from a prison guard who said he heard Sutcliffe tell his wife that if he convinced people he was crazy, he would get ten years, quote unquote, in a loony bin. So that probably is what convinced them they thought he was faking being crazy.
1: I don't give a shit. Give him life. Yeah. I don't. I would be pissed if they let him plea for
0: attempted. Well, yeah. So the judge said He
1: also confessed.
0: Yeah, but it's whether he he goes to a mental facility. He'd still be away for life, but it would be mental facility versus prison. No, go to jail, bitch. So the judge said Sutcliffe was beyond redemption and never wanted him to get out of prison. And he recommended a minimum term of 30 years be served before parole could even be considered. And in 2010 the High Court issued him with a whole life tariff, which means he's never to be released. After his trial, Sutcliffe admitted to two other attacks, but the prosecution was just like, it's not really in the public interest, and the victims wanted to remain anonymous, so they didn't like prosecute that at all. Um, Interesting little fact, in 2015, authors Chris Clark and Tim Tate wrote a book called Yorkshire Ripper, colon, the secret murders, where they link Sutcliffe to at least 22 more murders than the 13 he was convicted of. So, Jeez. who knows if that's, I mean... And I think he would kill again if he was released. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, the police got majorly dragged for this case. It was one of the biggest investigations in British history, and it was before DNA and computers. It was 150 cops, 11,000 interviews, like, so many people were involved in this case, and the cops were honestly just fucking things up left and right. So, one of the big things... Things was, it was such a huge case, no computers, everything was manual, everything, all the evidence, all the interviews, everything was written on note cards. And it was this massive system with such a huge case and so many interviews that like, it was just really hard to connect things on a bunch of fucking loose note cards. Sutcliffe was interviewed nine times over the course of the investigation before they found out that it was him. Like, nine times. Every time he must have been like, this is it. And he just got away with it. Kept getting away with it.
1: And the guy who turned him in, finally, what was... Do you know the spot? Like, what made him finally be like, this is it? I wonder if he
0: told him something or he saw something weird at his house or something like the hammer. Like, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, But during one of his interviews, officers showed him a picture of the Ripper's boot print near the body. And the officer failed to notice that he was wearing the exact boots in question at the time of the interview. Like, isn't that so SVU? Even, um, Even he was surprised it took so long to catch him. He says, quote, it was just a miracle they didn't apprehend me earlier. They had all the facts. So wild. And he's trolling the cops. So in the third episode of this show, The Ripper, you really start to see how women were fighting back against like the misogyny of the time. Not only just like what was happening in the press talking about sex workers and stuff, but just the way that people were using the Ripper as, like, a way to, like, suppress women and keep them, like, scared and pliable. Um, Like, men would be like, oh, you don't want to go home with me? What do you think? I'm the Ripper. And it was just, like, a way to keep women, like, terrified all the time. And women were like, fuck this, we're fighting back. It's like the late 70s, you know, like feminism is uh, well underway and women were just like we're not doing this and so many female journalists did a lot of legwork and um realized that like it might have been a forced narrative about the sex workers um they and that they kind of realized that this might be a forced narrative from the cops about the sex workers like why didn't they connect the first three attacks to the murder those women had information they had all survived and um, like the accent thing, which was crazy, was that the police also kept saying he had a Geordie accent. There was another time before the Wearside accent accent debacle where they told them, if this person doesn't have a Geordie accent, forget him. So tons of suspects were just like getting dis... Like, getting uh, excluded because of an accent that is not the accent that this guy even fucking had. They also ignored a very accurate description that I said Marcella Claxton. I do want to say my friend Alex in the UK,
1: She's she has a Geordie accent. Oh, she does? They're really fun. Yeah, she's a Geordie and... Because I know they have Geordie Shore. I, so I've known her now since like 2012, let's say. And there are times where we'll be talking and she'll be like, you don't know what I'm saying, do you? (laughs) Like, it is a wild accent. I've gotten to know this person. They'll send me voice notes. We can listen to one on the car later. I would love to. And it's like, it's wacky
0: <laughs> It's a really wacky I love that I hope she comes to LA soon So basically Remember how I told you That Marcella Claxton Had a great description of him They just didn't think She was one of his victims Because she wasn't a sex worker So there's a full description Of the criminal That you could have been using Putting on posters and shit But you just didn't connect it Because it didn't fit your narrative That you're pushing About the sex workers So the end of Sutcliffe's life Is that he went to prison In May of 81 In, in he was He was attacked pretty brutally, like two or three times in prison by other uh, inmates. And then he was eventually in 84 sent to Broadmoor Hospital, which is a well-known mental hospital in the UK. And um, that was under uh, the Mental Health Act of 1983. So I guess they finally acknowledged that he had um, mental health issues, and then he was attacked at least three times there by other inmates, and he died from COVID. Honestly, I mean, it might have been from something else, but he went to the hospital with COVID. He had a ton of underlying health problems, and he did die in November of 2020. So, that is that on the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, not exactly believe. dropping pray c- prayer cards, but d- he was saying God was telling him to do it. You know, he a was a fetus moment. Up. Yeah, yeah.
1: I just can't believe I didn't. I just oh Jack the. I thought it was like interchangeable. I also thought this was old timey. That's because like, Jack the Ripper. Re- is. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize this was the '70s. Oh, the I... they,
0: the UK in England loves to talk about rippers. They have so many rippers. There's like all different rippers. I think it's oh, cause, cause Jack not- the Ripper, and they all just like call them. I think anyone that does like slashing with a knife is a ripper. But yeah, it's a, it's, I really recommend this. Netflix. I have other sources that I use too, but like I watch this Netflix thing, all four episodes, and it's really, really uh, four hours well spent if you're into um, true crime, of course. But we've got a really fun interview coming up with you guys. So, oh yeah, you'll be excited. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Okay, guys, today's guest has dabbled in a little bit of everything. He is a comedian, an actor, a podcaster, a sketch comedy legend in New York. Uh, You may remember him as Sea Otter from Wolf of Wall Street, or you've seen him on Adult Swims, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, or HBO's Crashing. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, The Last Podcast on the Left, and one of the owners of The Last Podcast, Podcast Network. But you know him as... Little stoner mark in today's episode. Guys, please check out our convo with the hilarious Henry Zabrowski. Henry Zabrowski, we're so excited to be talking to you. A podcast and me meeting you. Yeah, and Lisa meeting you for the first time. I hear great things
1: about you. And um no, our listeners request you all the time.
2: I'm sorry, they want you.
1: No, <laughs> no, this is great. It's good
2: <laughs> to be here. Honestly, it's kind of funny. This is one of those experiences. I don't know if I've ever really like quote unquote officially have spoken about it. I don't know. Because who cares? <laughs> who cares when you're like it was like 12 we years. Can, no, I know now people get, yeah, you guys <laughs> care, but it was definitely it was like my second <laughs> acting gig. Was i this. know it's nice. like you
0: you are booked and blessed you have a lot of credits on imdb you got to scroll all the way down and you see henry what well, you know i remember well, when they retconned
2: they retconned a lot of the vi- web videos back in the day to be imdb credits which really does help pump the numbers and, and that's just thankful <laughs> to the web comics boom do you remember when when sketch comedy used to be lucrative
0: oh yeah I'm yeah. in tons of random sketches that are listed on IMDb, like for college humor and stuff. And oh, like, yeah. Good. Go go off. That's like, a short. Yeah. That's a short. Yep. It's definitely a short.
2: <laughs> definitely TV pilot. Sure. Yeah. Take it. Uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's cool because this was one of those. I remember at the time period when I was, this was like very, it was like, you know, all the New York actors, everyone was going in for SVU. I had interviewed twice to play a pedophile. And I had just didn't, I didn't get over the hump.
0: You know, I don't know what it was. Maybe I just, it's just don't something about see me. it.
2: Yeah. There's something
0: about you. You're a little bit too happy go lucky, I think.
2: I I was much bigger at the time. And maybe I just was like just straight up Gabriel Iglesias trademark too fluffy to be a pedophile <laughs> at the time. Like I was too cuddly. Um, but I yeah. I remember it's one of those days. Where I remember the I remember the audition. I remember getting it. It was just like a quick little thing. It happened really fast. I got it the next day. But what do you guys have questions? What are like, what do you how's what is the format of this show?
1: Well, this is actually perfect. So you got the sides, you went to Chelsea Piers and the next day they're like, You got it. You got it. Congrats! Did you jump up and down? Well,
2: at the time, too, I don't know if uh, if everyone was aware, but this was a, a, maybe one of the big, one of the first big tragedies our generation got after 9-11 was that we got the recession, right? So, at the time period, I had lost my job. You know, I lost my job, and I was struggling deep. And this is back when you could really ride unemployment for a long time. And I yeah. was, I needed this job, so that was the thing. I was <sighs> very thankful. But mostly it was just like, hey, I I won't have to go home. I don't want to go home because I wasn't, I was going to die there if I moved back to Florida.
1: How have the residuals been? Speaking still of coming. cash money. Still
2: coming. It's one of the nice. best. It's that. I actually just got, it's that and Blue Bloods because I did a full guest spot on Blue Bloods. Still pays. I still get like, it's a sack of weed every three months. It's like 60 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that's $60. That's free money. Well, technically, it's like me eating alone on Postmates.
0: Yes. (laughs) No, I have the same thing where I took a shot. I was nine months pregnant, and I did this thing on Laughing, where I was like supposed to take a shot. I took a shot, and it was like the joke is that I'm pregnant. I said one line, and I get $75 every three months. And I'm like, well, there's a dinner,
2: you know? I love (laughs) it. It means something. But, you know, they don't do it like that anymore. Yeah. They don't pay out yeah. those residuals anymore because now anything you do, they just bake it in. They're like, don't you remember when we paid you generously up front? And it's like, I, actually, I yeah. don't. I don't know. Um, But no, at the time, it's nice to have the reminder that it's there. And it is strange because, not strange, it just got such a hardcore fan base that this shit comes up again and again and again. And people play that episode a lot. And I think yeah. it had a lot to do with, that was Misha Barton not at peak, but chapter after peak. Right. So she was getting a lot of. And eyeballs.
1: how was working with her? You know, we don't see you guys in the same room, but I'm sure you guys maybe crossed paths. Any Misha Barton scoop? She
2: did not regard me. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was there, and I was there, uh, and she was just like because it's also the nature of the part, right? I, I'll even break down. I just think it's so funny. Because this was also in a previous true crime world, where they viewed weed as this as like the devils, Bad. the devil weed, and it's just These like guys have bongs. Oh yeah, no, oh no! But like the concept of the bit, maybe I'll, tell, I'll just break it down. So the bit is is that Misha Barton is a struggling young woman who's pregnant <laughs> that becomes a sex worker, and this is all about kind of her her journey. Right. And somewhere in this world, they believe that two young college men, that what they'd like to do is they rip bongs and then they talk to each other and say, hey, what do you want to do this afternoon? Why don't we tag team a sex worker together? (laughs) Like that is the single just the idea of using the phone, like because like you had a this is Craigslist, like a casual encounters time period. There was no back page. There was no brothel. We were going to red light district, like just paid idea of The bravery it would take to (laughs) even send the email, say, yeah, sure. Come over and put your address on it. When I was high, like back in the day, especially original high, like college high. I thought that the pizza delivery man would call the cops. (laughs) Like I'm not, we're not doing this together. We're not having me and my buddy are high-fiving each other. Oh, my
0: God. That's yeah. so fucking true.
2: Yes, but it That's is very That's so fun. true. It's
0: like, I didn't even think it would more likely be bros that were doing that kind of thing than, like, stoner dumbasses.
2: It's just that we... Yeah, cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah,
0: yeah. But cocaine even cocaine, guys.
2: Cocaine hurts the penis, too. Sure. It's just oh, not sure it does. It's one of those where like mostly you just sit in silence, but it was really funny. But I think the nature of it. So then it was the idea that we tag teamed. We both had sex with Misha Barton who was a pregnant sex worker and then she almost had a, a miscarriage. And
0: then not only that, but you thought she left, but you didn't thought realize she, she left. was
2: just still packed up, passed out in your bed with there, her water broken. There's a pregnant woman in your apartment. Okay? It's not it's just not going to happen like this. <laughs> but, you know, in the end, it has one of my favorite lines from Christopher Maloney you know, that I, I do love it. We're being like, he's like, so what, do you guys, uh, so what are you guys up to today? And it's like, just studying? And she says, yeah, for your degree in stupidity? Yes. <laughs> yes. Nailed us.
1: But as Henry the actor, do you think these are just bumbling stoners or bad, bad boys? I
2: think that... It was a different world. Um, I think that they (laughs) were, uh, in my truly, I just think, uh, in the way we truly played it is that they were very, very stupid. And it was just a weird lark that these two men went on. Because the idea is that we were just sort of like a stepping stone, kind of red herring style. Like, we were just obstacles to Misha Barton's journey. Yeah, and so we, I think, of you to, and the guy that I was in it with was, was super jazz because he was about to quit his. He was sell he sold cars for a living, and then he booked that job, and he's like, "I'm thinking about getting into modeling," and then I don't think he ever worked ever again. And dude, I, think I
0: checked his IMDb. He never did. I checked yeah. his IMDb. He has like two credits ever, and I was like, "Oh it's, no, don't
2: quit the car job." It's because you made just sell the cars. <laughs> just sell the cars, you're already, things are doing very well for you. And the idea that you're even thinking about going into modeling means you're also probably fairly getting sex. Or you <laughs> think you think that's a thing. Also with the idea of transitioning to modeling is a very funny idea.
1: Well, speaking, of, so you know, you're obviously with your podcast, like... You guys research fucked up shit, horrible stuff, yes, weird stuff. All day. We um on this podcast talk about like being haunted. Are there things that you've researched that haunt you or um and uh, have ruined your brain?
2: You know, there are things that I mean, you'd say there are sp- are there specific things not as much anymore. Like when we do the alien episodes, I do tend to have nightmares. I'll have abduction dreams and they really freak me out. You can ask Jared oh. about that because also Jared recently, if you could tell him, I, he gave me a bunch of UFO documentaries and we were hanging out in <laughs> Vancouver one time and I've been going through them and they're actually really great. So I'm going to rip them and send them to him as well. He'll love it. Uh, all right. Um, he's going to love it. Um, but I I, uh <laughs> you can't wait, uh but, but then you know, like then I say, like, oh, it doesn't really affect me, but then you know, um, I have cameras all over my house, I wake up in the night, uh, I literally this is a habitual behavior I have, where I wake up in the middle of the night and I check all the doors and locks in my home, I look out the windows i i i look i I do a lot of that, um, I live a high yeah. paranoia lifestyle, um and that's really, uh, maybe, I I feel like that these two, my life and that behavior are probably connected to each other. Yeah. But I don't know. It, we just, because then, you know, I have really bad uh, insomnia. Like I can go up to three weeks at a time, no sleep, like literally maybe 45 minutes of sleep at night. And then I talk to my therapist, which is really hilarious, like trying to get to the bottom of it. And the first question they always ask is like, what media do you consume? And it's just like, nothing literally nothing but absolute mayhem
0: i know and then sometimes you're just like why do i feel a little bit down like what's up with me today and it's like oh i've just been researching child rape all day (laughs) that's all day
2: and then like you know because natalie uh, my wife natalie has a show about missing women on uh on the last podcast network uh someplace underneath and it's like the same so on one end of the house it's all just been like and when they found her, the only thing left was her heel bone. And then, like, cut to <laughs> inside a here where it's just like knee deep into like MK Ultra or something in this house. And then you wonder why <laughs> Wendy had our dog has stomach issues. It's just she can. Wendy feel the is processing
0: at home. all of this information.
2: <laughs> yes, in one go, and she's just like or I'm not seven processing it.
0: But is there ever like has there ever been like a true crime that? You covered that, like, really blew your mind. Like, I we just covered the one that, um, abducted in plain sight is based on, and we were yes. just like, What the fuck? Like, if you had rules like
2: that, I ruined the sanctity of my marriage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, that guy, he got got, dude. He had sex with the whole family, man. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's crazy. That's a, that's my reaction to be like, You crazy, man. Um, The last time I really had one, it's kind of funny because the last podcast, I think it's about details that come up that are very specific and strange that like stick with me. We're like, mm-hmm. we did this long story. We did a coverage of the Yorkshire Ripper, uh, Peter Sutcliffe. Oh, we was, just did it.
0: Oh, wait, we did it for this.
2: Oh, you did. Great. This episode. He's everywhere. This is this episode He's on fire right Ripper. now. Yeah, his IMDB number must be shooting, he must be incredible. His star coverage. meter, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but he, um, one detail that they left laid out because the thing about what we we criticize true crime media media because they do two things, they both make it highly like sinister and make them sound like villains, right? Like they do this thing, they make them sound like boogeymans that you you can never see coming because they want to make the audience afraid and feel that they're stakes, right? But then on the other hand, they leave out many, many details of the crime for what they believe to be the quote-unquote safety of their audience, I think, or they think that people can't handle it. But the problem is, is that without going into true detail, like you really just don't know What happened? You just know the media representation of the thing, but you don't know actually the events that took place. And one thing about the Yorkshire Ripper that was in never and none of the true crime coverage was that he used to do this thing where he used to wear a sweater as pants so that he could have quick access to his penis.
0: We talked about this. He would wear a sweater as pants also so that when he kneeled down next to his victims, his knees would be on like the elbow pads and support him.
2: Yes, yes. He's he a very bad, you know, but these are the things that stick with me. It's the but that's little like qualities.
1: Well, yeah, when you said heel bone, <laughs> like that made me laugh, like a heel bone. Yes, it's this brilliant. well,
2: it's about it's it's the specifics. It's like, and then with last podcast and left, it's why we go super exhaustive because we believe that the humor is in all of the human stuff. It's all in that. It's like because in the end, they're not monsters. They're just, they are fucked up people. And so, and they come from some place. And so that's how it's kind of like, you know, as true crime ghouls, it's more like, how did they, why are they like that? But I'm normal, even though we all kind of start in the same fucked up place in America.
1: But I wanted to say sometimes all of this knowledge does help because I thought someone was like shady and I didn't like it. And I asked someone to stay with me and then they pulled out a knife on him. And I was like, I got out of there.
2: You know, so sometimes you're right. I think following your gut is the most instinctual thing on the face of the planet. Because all all you are, if you're wrong, all you are is awkward. And then you just move on. You just move on to the next time. And uh, what I also, what's nice about almost getting to 40 is truly understanding that nobody gives a single fuck what you're doing over there. They just don't even, they're not even thinking about you. They're just thinking about themselves. They're just, everybody's wrapped up into their own bullshit. So in the end, I also learned the more I'm awkward and strange to people, then you get labeled eccentric. And then you get a lot of, (laughs) a lot of, you know, social grace. People give you a lot of room.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that Henry. That Henry.
2: He's just got
0: problems. That old Looney Tune. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, wait, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you because when I first texted you about doing this podcast, you wrote, Yes, I can't wait to tell you about working with Christopher Mellons. And I didn't know if that was a oh, typo or if that's what you call him.
2: Mr. Mellons. Um again, we <laughs> didn't have um, we didn't have a lot of conversations, but at the time. He was working on this one man show. I what Ooh. it was called? He was doing this show on Broadway or off Broadway, where it was a one man show, and he played, he was playing like an Iraq War veteran. I might be wrong, but I he was something like that. Wow. He was playing a military. He was playing a military guy, and so the whole time he was just talking about a soldier's life, what what, what these guys went through in Iraq, all this kind of shit. But doing I, I, the audience can't see it, but I'll show you. It's this deep lunge move where he used to he was standing in front of oh, me. Oh yeah. They know exactly big... what
0: they know exactly what you're doing because there's yeah. a lot of photographic evidence of that.
2: Yes, he's
0: he's lunging
2: everybody. He's doing <laughs> the lunge, right? And because honestly, he is set up on his behind. All right. <laughs> his butt is like sculpted. And you can see through, <laughs> and you know it's sculpted because you could see through khakis. And if you through, have a through like cop khakis. Yeah. If you could see butt through khakis, you are, you got, you, you're crack a That's the old term <laughs> from what I've heard. And he is, uh, but he is like that. But that was, that was all the whole time. So, but the thing was, again, there was such a system that it needed to be an eight hour. Day, like that's what they do. So it, yeah. this was back in the day when they used to have the they used to have a job Maybe they still do. Do they still have the giant compound in Jersey? I
0: think so. I, I think they still tape some stuff out there. That's apparently where all like the jail and interrogation yes. stuff happens. That's where the courtroom
2: yeah. is. And so we yeah. went all the way out there. They had built the set on the compounds. And that's where we I had went out there. But man, it's fucking nuts. It's just like they they are cycling through because they'll shoot an episode in three days, like at the time too, when they were real well-oiled machines. So you do not have a lot of time. You had, I had two takes. It had to be done. And you just did it. All of the New York yeah. shows were like that back in the day where they were very, it was very frightening. And I don't, yeah. I didn't know, understand what acting, like, I don't know how acting gets done in that spot. Unless you are when you're Christopher Mellons or um, oh shoot, uh, uh, Mar- uh, Mariska, who is wonderful, who also brilliant person, obviously very sweet. She was very very nice, but she was a she was run in that set.
1: Yeah. And did Maloney, aka Melons, try to like get that power from her, or he allowed...
2: like he was doing his own? Knows thing. knows Mariska's in charge. Mariska's okay. in charge. He went off and he was literally just stretching. Yeah. He was just stretching. And then he was like, let's go. Let's get a gun. Come on, let's do it. And then he, you wow. know, and like, he, it's also the thing as a young actor too, when you're around all these very experienced people and they're like, they just told me what to do and where to stand. They were like, the director was like trying to say stuff, but Maloney literally was like, you're going to stand right here. We're going to do this. We'll flip it around. Like they just do, they just told me what was going to happen. And I was just like, Whate- whatever you need. No,
0: this is so funny because like you, you're saying it was really fast and it was like your second thing you ever did, but you remember it really well. Like you well, remember to, a lot of stuff from it.
2: It meant a lot to me. Like it really, yeah. like it was because it was a big deal. And I really, for especially at the time, because like I was told at the time, I was like this, now you're a New York actor. Like, you yeah. know, now, yeah. now you're in the system. Now you're going to do all of these. And I did do a bunch of procedurals then in a row. It does work like that. And uh, it got me, it taught me a lot about TV, like what to expect and how, um how like when you're a day player, like how low on the ladder you are as a person yeah. and that most of your day needs to be spent being out of the way of everyone else. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, since you were that excited, um are you a, like were you excited about crafty the snack?:
2: That was did you have That was back in the day when I used to have to literally take food home. <laughs> I used to go and take food off the craft table and put it into a bag and leave with it. like when I did my first after that, I had done my first pilot, and I was so, so, so broke. Um, uh, my manager had to pay my sag fees, like he did it for me, um, which was actually incredibly sweet. Cause, well, also I booked more. Ken. Yes, Ken? Ken. Yeah, he paid for my SAG fee because, <laughs> but again, a check was coming. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. So yeah. it's easy to do when he could just take it out of the thing, right? But yeah. I was on set, like, and they're all like, we're going to go out to this fancy bar in Midtown. And I was just like, lie and be like, I got a show tonight. And I would just like (laughs) fill my bag with stuff from Crafty and take it home. So it's like whatever wasn't tied down. But that was also, then what happened was like, I was also, when I was extra poor and very, very sad, what I learned from being on set was that, oh, if you just go up to a Crafty tent and meander for a little bit and act like you're a part of the crew, you can just eat on that too. (laughs) And they really have a hard time staying like turning you away. So you just do it real fast and you just take, Crafty, like off the the street. It was fun. I,
0: <laughs> I've actually thought about doing that before, just to see if I could. Not like because I'm like, oh, I really need the snack. I'm always like, I wonder if I can act like I'm part of this enough that I'm like, oh hey, I'm just grabbing something for yeah. Stage two. I'll, I'll be you know like little.
2: See if you can. All do you it. need is the connected earphones. Like it is, <laughs> and then it's the looking everywhere. It's a oh uh, oh uh, uh, oh. They need this now. You know, talents waiting now. Like you act like you're in a huge hurry. Do because you get, it's life um, or death, Kara.
0: <laughs> it's life or death. I know. Um, do you get texted like every time this episode comes on? Because I feel like this is like on all the time. I remember when you were first on it, because this came out when I was like just first dating Jared and you guys were friends, and I was like, This guy, you know, Henry's on the on my favorite show. <laughs> like
2: that's so funny. And,
0: um <laughs> Like, but do you get texted? Cause uh, people always tell us, like, cause you know, USA, Ion, every network in the world is playing US, um, SVU on a marathon. So, like, do you get, like, people say, just saw you on SVU?
2: Every once in a while, it'll be like a listener that for last yeah. podcast and the left or somebody who's just like, they'll just randomly like be like, is this you? And then I have to be like, <laughs> yes, I did used to have beautiful hair. <laughs> Very thick hair. But yeah, I mean, honestly, now with that thing is that mostly it's just played so often. Every once in a while, like my mom, if I haven't texted my mom back yet or like for a period of time or whatever, like I just like, you know, slips my mind. She'll like if she sees it, she'll take a picture just being like, at least I could see you on the television. (laughs) She's being like Jesus Christ.
1: God, parents are so <laughs> fucking desperate. It's ridiculous. They're so
2: desperate. It's just like I'm Do you watch yourself? I hate me. Okay. <laughs> um, so no, I try not to as much as humanly possible. I try to avoid me.
1: Oh. So I have kind of a fun game moment. It's not about SVU, but I saw you were on I Love the 2000s. Yeah,
2: that was, yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering
1: (laughs) if there was an I Love the 2020s and our life is kind of um, weird now, but is there anything you think you'd include or want to include or something you really love about the 2010s to the 2020s to present that you would be like, oh, this will be talked about?
2: Oh, God.
0: This is a lot. No, No, aside aside from your role on SVU. That would go in the time capsule of the odds. If, if,
2: if you want to be, I'll choose a completely neutral thing, which I do think is one of the only good things that did come out of this time period was the rise of the Seamless app. And it's like... <laughs> I love that answer. I want to say thank you. Thank you to Seamless. And I know it's a terrible company. Everyone's mad. At any company, yeah. right? I so yes, everybody's mad, but still, thank you for the years. But food
0: delivery, w- yeah.
2: Food delivery as a concept via not phone <laughs> was such a good transition for this country. It should have saved us. It should have. It, it, it should have done something, but it didn't. Yeah. It did.
1: That's a really good answer
2: because I because truthfully is I think that, that I probably would have drove I would either done Uber or delivery app definitely when I was coming up. I definitely would have done it instead of yeah. we had office jobs, Kara. Like I, know. I had an office job. Uh, someone had to fucking hire me. And then I think about that all the time cuz now I hire people I do, right? I hire people for the network. And now I know I used to be so like, proud to go ahead and be like And guess what? I'm also a comedian. And now I know you never hire a comedian ever to do any job. That's not be a waiter, right? They can't handle it. They're not there. They're not emotionally there. Yeah, You know, or a receptionist or receptionist. Or that's, that's a, kind of a great way. one. That's a great one. Because again, you can get, because the one thing that was nice about the office job back in the day, because we did sketch comedy, thousands of dollars of copies. Oh, I mean. yes. Thousands of dollars. Like all of the office supplies. We had highlighters. We had... Binders, post Yeah. Binders. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when we first did the fringe in New York and it was like, I was printing out full, like long sheet posters just like, then people showing up just being like, why there's no color ink in this anymore? And be like, I don't know. I
0: don't know. Oh, and I'm married to such an um, office supply thievery um, pussy. Like, he won't do it. And like, when he was working <sighs> at Corden, I'd be like, we need paper. Can you just grab some at Corden? And he'd be like, I'm not going to do that. And I'd be like, what?
2: This what is are you your office do?
0: job. Bring us some supplies.
2: This is your family. This is your family. you choosing James you need Corden's to provide budget for us. over my family. <laughs> this is your family, all right? <laughs> what if this was World War III?
0: Oh, my right? gosh. So Henry, silly. I'm being serious. We've had so many people write to us, be like, you've got to have Henry on. And it's like, you're a great in this episode, but it's not like you're, they don't write and say, get Misha Barton. They write and say, get Henry Zabrowski for this episode. We have, I Barton, think we have a lot of crossover.
2: Is she easy to talk to? Like, do you think you could get could you get me She Martin? You should. You should I don't get think Misha we should. No, we him. didn't
0: try. We went for you. We went for you. We didn't I'm, try for her. Also right talking This episode. has also been very uh
1: unique and fun, and you have a lot to say. You're uh, it's yeah. like um a gr- you I've I've been entertained I, and that's exciting.
2: <laughs> all I do is talk all day long.
0: Well, also, we I kind mean, of yeah. talked shit about how she's not that good in the episode, so it would have been weird to have her on. She's we would have had actress. to cut that out. She's the she's bad is, in the episode.
2: She's uh, acting for two, first of all. <laughs> all right, because she is fake pregnant. And she just was, oh, God. Just, oh, uh, she mustn't have, have been happy. Oh, I don't know. Well, man. I think she
1: thought she was gonna be a bigger star. Maybe this was like she thought it was beneath her because she was a teen icon. Like yeah. I have no idea, but she bombed. Yeah. She couldn't fall, like she wasn't great at it. And then it seems like by your body language, she was a cunt. She
2: she just was in she was indifferent.
0: To, yeah, she was probably like, let's us. get this over with. Yeah. Believe
2: me, I understand. Because, but there was also a part of me was being like this is a big deal for me. Like, I wanted to be like, I'm very excited about our work together today because I didn't know who she was.
1: I know, but we've talked to Oscar winners who are excited to be on it. So it's also like being cynical. I'm, I'm just against cynicism. Me and too. I think you should enjoy everything. And so to me, it's like, that's disappointing, but it shows in her performance that she didn't care. No,
2: I remember I was in the first season of Girls and I remember like, man, Adam Driver was like, it's like, we need to rehearse. And so it's like I went to had to go with him and hang out with it. Like he really gave a shit, and he was just there. It was really weird. Now he's like a superstar, obviously, but it's the thing at the time period. You don't know. Wait, that's
1: one of my favorite shows. Um, what? Who were you in
2: season one? I was the fat dude that did the improvised play with Adam Driver that was adding, <gasps> oh adding the humor to it.
1: Oh, my God. Cool. Very dumb. That's so It was awesome. fun.
2: I love to do it, but it shows a difference where, like, Misha Barton didn't want to be involved and then all you have to look at this other show where it was like they were all working very, very hard.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it kind of shows with what she's up to now. Not to talk too much shit, but, you know.
2: Whoa.
0: Um, We are. This is the most shit we've ever talked outside of, like, a murder rapist.
1: Yeah.
2: You know (laughs) what? We're
0: really dragging her. I'm
2: also not including myself in it because she was neutral to me, and I barely understand who she is as a person.
1: Yeah. No, and I'm not (laughs) a fan of her other stuff. Any tidbits? I know you weren't in in with Ice-T. Did you see him walk around? No. Was there a cocoa sighting? No, 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 no. uh, no. We were
2: very much so separated. He wasn't there. Okay. And they, I think they really do. It's like they have Chris and and they have like those days and then they have his days and then they separate yeah, all the schedules um, because you really are just banging them out. uh. And they just do it. They block shoot it. It's just boom, 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 boom. So I didn't see him. Yeah. Um. But again, you know, I will say Chris Maloney and Mariska, they took their times to like say hello. I know it sounds like that's ridiculous, but in terms of doing day playing, like, they spoke to us as if we had blood in us,
0: which was very
2: nice. You know what I mean? Like they we weren't houseplants. So that was very, very nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, we we hear that a lot. That's- like that they make it, they make it nice for the people that are coming in, even though like some people are just there for
2: a day or two. They um, obviously loved the show. Like it's like one of those things yeah. where they were very invested.
0: So obviously, besides your hit podcast last podcast on the left your podcast network the last podcast network what do you have anything coming up that you want people to our listeners to check out or anything like that this is you know
2: if you have some
0: crossover but this might be a new audience that's just meeting henry zebrowski so what should they check out
2: they're gonna fall in love get ready for compliments i i need them (laughs) <laughs> I need them every day. Um, go, uh, your Pretty Face is going to hell. My show for Adult Swim is now on HBO Max. More people have seen it since oh, nice. it's been on HBO Max since before it was on the channel that it was it's originally It's so on.
0: funny. With an old improv friend of mine, Craig Rowan, is your co-star. Oh, yes. And I love, I can highly recommend Your Pretty Face I love is my going show. to hell.
2: I deeply yeah. miss my show. Um, and then I uh blah, 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 blah. last comic book on the left. I'm currently selling an anthology comic book that me and Marcus edited. Uh and we are it's it's awesome. Uh it's called Last nice. Comic Book on the Left. And it's out there through Z2comics.com. We're about to sell our second, we sold out of our, our first run, so we're about to do a second volume. Hell um yeah. so we love it. So yes, yeah, check it out if you're into comic books.
0: Amazing. Yay. Thank Henry, you, Henry. Thank you so much for talking to us. You're this wonderful. a blast. donor. Thank you for having <laughs> me. <laughs> <sighs>
1: <sighs> 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 I'm obsessed with him and I want him to be a guest every week. Like I, I understand know. why his podcast is so popular and why he was so highly requested. Yeah, he's just so good at talking.
2: <laughs> I've so never funny. met it.
1: Yeah, I think that was the most quiet I've ever been in an interview. <laughs> I was just amazed. He was just like, I don't. Yeah, I felt so happy.
0: Yeah, and I love when we talk to someone that has kind of like a smaller part, but has so much info and like so much to say. You know, like he. Well, because it, it obviously something to meant him. a lot to him. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, you know,
1: speaking from someone that just got kicked by a horse in the movie Nope. um, <laughs> Which a lot of people are noticing you. We're getting messages. I know. uh, Joe Quazala sent me a text with the GIF of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Like, he knows someone. You know that GIF? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, I really was... But then he goes, was there more to it? And they cut you out. I go, nope, that was it. Thank you so much. Uh." (laughs) Nope. Nope.
0: Please see the name of
1: the movie. Nope. (laughs) I also couldn't believe that um, Henry brought up the Yorkshire Ripper without really, I, know. I don't think, connecting.
0: I don't think he knew it was like the crime for today. So, no. so, so wild. What did No, we, I but know- I want to, I want
1: to hang out. I want to know aliens stuff. And it's nice to know someone else is having a lot of residual effects from
0: reading scary stories all the time. Yes, for sure. For sure.
1: Not that I want other people to suffer,
0: but. Yeah. Um, no, he's awesome. I love him and his whole group of friends. They're just all fun, awesome, like positive people. Uh, and we learned what we always learn.
1: Police are trash, men are trash, and sex workers are not considered people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really would encourage people to see, to watch what I watched on Netflix, the Yorkshire Ripper, like the Ripper series that I watched. Just like, even if you start at episode like three where the women start to really talk about how they were like, no one was listening to us. Like we were figuring out, like the women journalists that worked on it and stuff. It was just really interesting how groups of men just like create a narrative, stick to it, and then when it's not working for years, they just dig in their heels instead of saying like, I don't know, should we ask anybody else what's going on? Also, were you nervous
1: when Henry was going to give a clue that you didn't have it or something? Like when he said it was the dickhole, oh. I was happy. I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is he going to say? What is he going to say? Poke a hole through our work?
0: I know I was like, oh god, I hope I have what he has. Um but yeah, the fucking But I didn't know if it was so his dick could be accessible because I don't think he ever sexually assaulted anyone as far as I know. So, I thought it was literally for the knee pads on the elbows, but I'm sure I'll hear from some listeners when they tell Yeah, me I guess what's this up. was a
1: long time ago cuz I was like, get some volleyball knee pads. Like you <laughs> like get some rollerblade yeah. hard knee pads, like
0: in the 70s, he like invents knee pads for rollerblades.
1: Um. Yeah, safety wasn't huge in the 70s. You could stick as... Oh my God. I There's a comic who drove here and I got into their car. Three rows of seats. I love it. It felt Ooh. so good. The moment I walked in, I go, now this is living. This is living. <laughs> I mean, to fit that many people in a sexy, sexy Jeep, I loved it and they had like a special sound system no one in our lives really is like that into sound i think well you know our sound people but <laughs> <laughs> it was like do you know this on a M- macintosh speakers sound system it was like they bought it for the sounds
0: whatever i just i've never i haven't
1: been in three rows of seats in a while and it felt nice
0: yeah, I feel like eventually when my kids are older, I'm going to have to invest in a third row because, like, they, you bring their friends around. Yeah, and then, I was about to know. say,
1: you know you're going to take her to, like, rugby practice with all her <laughs> friends.
0: <laughs> I love that you've already pigeonholed Rosie as a full rugby-playing lesbian. <laughs> <laughs>
1: She could be anywhere she wants on the spectrum, but there's no way she's not going to want to run and bump into people and shove them to the ground.
0: Absolutely. I played rugby for a semester, and then I was like, this is too rough. I just wanted to drink. Um, (laughs) But... That is so fucking funny. I'm going to be taking Rosie to rugby practice in my third
1: row. Oh, God. My favorite was for swim team. Like in the summer, we would swim at like, you know, six in the morning at the outdoor pools. But once, well, now you know me, I am a little bit, but I would like immediately get in the car and stop to start talking, and people would have to be like, shut up. (laughs) <laughs> shut up it's six we're done like the moms would be like shut your fucking it's mouth it's quiet
0: time now lisa that's rosie that's fucking rosie in the car i'm like okay i'm gonna turn on some music and we're not gonna talk for a little bit and then she just talks over the music it's like crazy um no it's not crazy it's you she's it's three you, no, and, it's it's you. Me. and it's
1: me three yeah lucky yeah nice try to get out of
0: that No, I tell people all the time, I go, my daughter's driving me insane and she is me and I am reaping what I sow. Everything is coming back to me. It's karma. She is me.
1: Wow. My sister always used to judge my parents and um, how they like parented me. And then she got a daughter that's similar to me and (laughs) has to be a little more lenient than she thought. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I got some, I was like drilling your sister for parenting tips when I met her in Chicago. I was like, how do you get it so that your kids love you so much? (laughs) Like...
1: Well, it's also all casual and with experience in it, you know, it wasn't like she immediately started like that. But then I I like her thing. She goes, if it's not going to matter tomorrow or in a week, I'm not going to care about it. Yeah. And that's that. She's like, I, and she goes, I want them to remember the way I make them feel. And she used an example of like someone, she saw a parent, like their kid came and was like, oh, why are you wearing that again? Instead of like, oh, how was your weekend away. And she goes, I just don't want to nitpick on things that aren't going to matter in a week and I want them to remember me being like, how was your weekend?
0: What did you do? You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's just hippy-dippy shit, I guess. No, it... No, but... Okay, but without getting into a full episode of the Parent Footprint Podcast, which I've already been a guest <laughs> on, like, it's it's what I try to talk about on there a little bit. It's like, I feel like sometimes I get too bogged down in like the detail, like, don't let her get away with too much stuff or she's going to turn into like a brat, you know? And it's like, yeah, is it going to matter tomorrow? Is it going to matter next week? Like, just, I'm trying to like embrace fun mom a little bit more and be like, let's just not like totally like, you know, let her run run the place, but like a little bit less... That doesn't match with that. You can't wear that, you know, like just and wear whatever the fuck And this one you want.
1: therapist I talked to for was like, you just have to love the shit out of your kid for who they are because the world is, you know, so you have less to yeah. reprogram when you're an adult. Yeah. I think we talked about this. Listen, yeah. parenting's hard and no matter what you do, your kids will hate you. So deal with it.
0: Can't wait. She's going to hate me in a third (laughs) row, though. She's going to hate me from the third row. All right. Let's get into what would Sister Peg do, our weekly segment where we give you guys a organization, a book, a link, a doc, something that you can go to to get more information or possibly donate um, concerning what we talked about today. I was sort of inspired by like how like what seems like the impossible... Sunshine felt like she couldn't get out of sex work. Like she wasn't... Like she'd been abused since she was young and like just never felt like she could. I'm not saying everyone in sex work has been abused and it's a choice people make. But if she wanted to get out, she felt like she couldn't get out. So I found this organization called um, Treasures so this group seeks to equip and empower those in the sex industry and survivors of sex trafficking to live their healthiest lives. The organization is non-judgmental, survivor-led, and offers education and therapy sessions. Um, their goal is not to fix or change anyone, but to meet women where they're at and to help them achieve the life that they want to lead. So, for more information, go to www.iamatreasure.com and uh, check it out. Thank you so much. And next week's
1: episode, we're going all the way back, baby. Season two, episode eight, Taken. Legendary episode, Hulu Peacock VPN. I'm a member. Um, (laughs) And we will see you next week, we hope. Love you so much. Bye, guys. (laughs)
0: That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right Production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's
1: Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at
0: Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson, and to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kaperski for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.